Somebody forgot to add me the show on time. Let's go. Uh-oh. <laughs> hey, there he is. What are you talking about? I don't forget shit. Ah, uh, yes, the musical chairs. Welcome back to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast, folks. I am Doug. Over here is Bug. And down there, all the way down there, short guys, Tug. Look, this isn't just because of how they oriented the screen. It's just because this is the size I can see on my camera. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now we're talking. <laughs> uh, it's a very sad week in sports. Uh, we are losing Vince McMahon as the head of WWE. Why? Is it a sad thing? Is Why are really we even bad? bringing this up? I know he. I this, don't care. It's just kind of hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I know he played football at one point, didn't he? No, he was more he, into bodybuilding, but uh, he, has, he has watched football in his life. Oh, sure good. So have I. We have something in common. Exactly. Now we're, yeah, we're on it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we have plenty of things to talk about today. Uh, we have a whole other division of the NFL we're going to preview for you. A whole other conference of college football we're going to preview for you. Very special guest going to help us do that, by the way. Stay tuned for that. And before we get anywhere, we have some news to talk about. And, uh, Instead of me talking the entire time, like we have been doing, uh, I'm going to start passing off some of these news segments. Actually, you know, co-host the show like we, you know, are supposed to. Oh, uh, amazing <laughs> how that works. So, tell you want to lead us off with some NFL news here? Yeah. All right. So, I'm going to start out with the, uh, with the tough news here. Uh, I'm sure it, it's been out there now for a few days, but uh, John Mechie, uh, rookie wide receiver for the Houston Texans uh, was looking to have a promising r- rookie season and then uh, has just been diagnosed with treatable leukemia. They said it's actually the most treatable form. Uh, he's going heavy into uh, the treatment, hoping to be back and stronger than ever. Uh, guys, do you have anything to add on this? I know I, we want to get out of the, the sad stuff as quick as we can. This is brutal. You know, the silver lining is this is the most treatable form of leukemia. Uh, but I know when I saw it initially, I was like, shit, that's that fucking sucks. So, uh, wish him a speedy yeah. recovery. Unfortunately, it looks like he's not gonna be playing any football this year. But what's most important right now is his health. And I, I think he's gonna be just fine. I think he's gonna get it taken care of. And we'll see him dominating the league here soon. Yeah, no, 100% uh, with you there. I hope, I hope he gets back out there. Hope he gets back to 100%. Uh, moving on to our next, uh, I guess, injury-ish related news here. Uh, Joe Burrow's having his appendix removed. That's going to be a setback for him coming into training camp uh, with his new offensive line, which we'll get more into that a little bit later. Uh, I've got some updates on that one. Uh, but this is going to be a tough one. Again, we're more concerned about his health than anything else. I hope he gets himself right, gets himself healthy, uh, and has a, a fantastic year three here. This one's a little bit more common, a little bit more recoverable, you know? He'll be all right. Still sucks. <laughs> all right. It's the start of training camp. Actually, today, if not this weekend, I believe is the official opening of training camp. And with that, we have the typical training camp storylines of holdouts. Uh, the two big names right now that are holding out are Roquan Smith, linebacker for the Chicago Bears, and Derwin James, if I'm not mistaken, the safety for Los Angeles Chargers here. Uh, those are two big hits for both of those defenses. Uh, Roquan Smith is an absolute tackling machine. Uh, and then Derwin James is your true center fielder out there. 
uh, playing free safety that can ball hawk like like no one's ever seen. Uh, what do you guys have to add on this? I think Doug froze out, and we might yep. be losing him completely here in a minute. Nope, uh, he's back. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. Uh, I'll, I'll go first because I wasn't even tracking the Derwin James holdout uh, until I slid into the notes as I was setting the room up. But what I do know about the Roquan Smith uh, holdout is obviously, you know, we said on the show, we've all agreed as well. It's not just me being a Bears fan. He's one of the best linebackers in the league and deserves to be paid as such. And what's depressing to me is I've been listening to a couple different podcasts. You know, this this is not going to be the most fun season for the Bears, and I'll talk more about that uh, and some theories I have on that as well uh, a little bit later here in the NFL news. But he was talking to some guys with show, you know shows that he's been on before and said, hey, you know, they're like, hey, come have a drink with us. He's like, nope, camp's starting. You know, got to stay clean, getting ready for the season. So he wants to play, but – he wants to get compensated uh, fairly as well. And I think that's, that's fair. It is unfortunate uh, because absolutely you want to see him play this season. You don't want to see him riding the bench or not even suiting up for the bears. So we'll see what happens. And uh, I hope they get something worked out because that would be losing Rokon Smith would leave pretty much nobody uh, on this defense. And yeah, it would, it would be, It'd be rough. At least it'd have Robert Quinn still, right? It's better than literally nothing, I guess. Uh, Derwin James' situation is apparently really similar. Derwin James wants to be the highest-paid safety in the league. And, okay, I guess, fine. Uh, we've seen how that worked out for Xavier and Howard. So maybe Derwin James is going to be the new bitch every two years. That he's not the highest paid anymore, um, but he he is very good. So I'm sure the Chargers will work something out here. That's that's a, a really hard piece to replace. So we'll see what happens. I have no idea how that's going to turn out. So so a lot of people don't understand this. They're sitting there like they're getting paid millions, all these other things. And I'm sorry, guys, I'm gonna jump around here on the notes a little bit. Uh, but I want to highlight kind of why I understand where these guys are coming from. Uh, after five NFL seasons, Chris Carson is retiring due to a neck injury. Uh, I think he ends his career with 769 carries, something to that effect. Um, but again, it's just it shows how short, especially for these middle linebackers, especially for these hard-hitting safeties, how short their career can be when the guy on the other side of the ball effectively playing the same position at running back is is retiring after five seasons. So when these guys are this young and they're coming up on that first contract renewal, this is where they need to make their money. And, and I get it right. They really don't. Sometimes they don't have a lot after the NFL. So what do you guys think of Chris Carson? What do you guys think of that analysis? Uh, yeah. Where are we at? Well, I think Doug has got to be at least a little happy. Chris Carson's retired. He's not going <laughs> to fall into that trap. Hey, I'm sad. Okay. Season. I'm very sad. It's been an annual tradition. I would give Tug like a first round pick in our dynasty league every single year for Chris Carr. And then he would get injured the next week, every single year. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll miss him. <laughs> All right. Another retirement we have coming up here is Danny Amendola. To be honest with you guys, I didn't even realize he was still technically playing. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm mixing him up with Wes Welker, but I thought he retired a few years back. 
don't think he played in all the years. He just never officially retired. So that's okay. So I'm not crazy. I don't think you're crazy. You might be crazy. All right, so now <laughs> retirement's out of the way. I do want to get back to some training camp headlines. There are some several uh, – There, there's a slew of names that have been added to the physically unable to perform or non-football injury list. Uh, just to name a few of the big ones here, uh, coming off injury that you're expecting to get back, the Ravens running back room is getting hit hard again with both, both Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins on the f- – uh, physically unable to perform list. That's a major hit because these guys have been out with an ACL tear. J, uh, J.K. Dobbins for almost a year now. Uh, and then uh, Gus Edwards would be right before week one. Uh, he'll hit his year mark. This is going to be tough for them to come back. I Honestly, I'll say I'm a little surprised here. I haven't seen ACL injuries take this long to recover in a long time. What... How worth it was it to continue that preseason winning streak for the Ravens? Because this is still what we're stuck on right now. These are still lingering injuries from that. This has not only affected them last year, it's going to affect them going into this year. These guys have got to get healthy. Otherwise, frankly, Hardball might need to be looking for a new job here soon. This is inexcusable. Yeah, no, I I absolutely think you're you're right there. It's it's kind of insane. Like I said, I'm I'm more surprised that they're taking this long. Maybe they're maybe they're slow rolling them to make sure that they're 100 percent for preseason, uh, and, and for week one. That might be the goal here. I'll tell you who's hoping that their guys on the unable physically unable to perform list will be healthy for week one, and that is Joe Burrow and his uh, lack of appendix, hoping that Leal Collins and Alex Kappa, two of the Bengals' biggest free agency signings. Uh, will be able to hit training camp and the preseason getting ready for week one. Uh, that's going to be a massive hit for the Bengals coming into this offseason. Sorry, guys, I'm new at this. I'm still trying to figure out how to pass it off to you guys. We'll learn as we go. Uh, out of the uh, physically unable to perform list, those were kind of the bigger names that I saw that I really want to focus on. Uh, one last thing before we get to the fun stuff out of the NFL news. Aaron Rodgers has to be kicking himself because Tom Brady says he wants a new new wide receiver and Tom Brady gets a new wide receiver. Uh, Julio Jones has officially signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What is the fallout of this? The fallout is that Julio Jones is going to be drafted ridiculously high in a bunch of fantasy leagues. And nobody, unless you have Tom Brady, is going to benefit from drafting Julio Jones. The the Buccaneers wide receiver room continually stays deep. So getting somebody else is not going to help them that much. Um, man, you know, it's it's going to be tough. The Buccaneers are going to be tough to beat this year in their division as it is. Uh, they don't have Gronk at least, but now they just add Julio Jones. They're still going to be tough to beat. They're still going to be the team to, to beat in the AFC, NFC South. Yeah, I don't think there's a big – debate on who's going to be the the team to beat in the NFC South. Uh, But yeah, this, this just seals it. And you're right. I think Julio Jones is going to get drafted ridiculously high and he's not going to see that return on that draft pick that you give him in fantasy here because well, Tom Brady has about 45 different wide receivers to throw to. Now to the fun stuff. I mean, it's going to be really fascinating to watch Julio Jones play against the Falcons. Finally, (laughs) we have that. That's fair. 
before that fun stuff here, Ben, I do want to highlight, because I almost skipped over it, the Kyler Murray contract here. This this saga just keeps getting better and better. My 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 high school teenager with a $230 million contract is sitting there with a clause that requires him to study without video games. Yes. <laughs> and Cliff Kingsbury is out there making jokes about it, uh, about bedtime and things like that. Guys, I need you on this. I need the reactions. This is the contract that my parents had me sign when I was 14. (laughs) The memes that have been going around have made it really hard for me to decipher what's real and what's not. But this is fucking ridiculous. People people (laughs) like to rag on Jamarcus Russell, and I think reasonably so. But if Jamarcus Russell had this in his contract, maybe he actually cares about the NFL. What's what fascinates me is it's not like the Cardinals have been a bad team. Kyler Murray's been doing fine. Why is all yeah. this shit in his contract now? Did you see did you see his response to this though? No. Mm-mm. He was like, Well, honestly, I just get out on the field and I have this unique cognitive ability. I can just see it as it's happening. I don't need to study. Okay, so that <laughs> like dude, that maybe makes if you it... study, you'll win more than like nine games. <laughs> that Kyle makes Murray it to the XFL confirmed. <laughs> this makes it more understandable because this is kind of what I expected was it's the Cardinals trying to protect their investment, and I get that. Now, all of that being said, nothing beats the added quote from i think it was, i don't know if this is real or not like you said i can't decipher it from cliff kingsbury that said they also added a clause in there that he will be in bed by 9 30 on school nights that might be my favorite quip i've seen out of all of this i love it it's amazing that just explains everything that's going on in arizona right now with as ridiculous as some of this other stuff is like i want to believe it's a joke and i i have confidence that it is but i don't have absolute we don't Absolute know for sure at all. <laughs> we don't know for sure. Exactly. Oh my Beta gosh. Bronco, thank you for, uh, for piping up here as well. Saying Julio Jones had the pick of where he wanted to go. So I'm assuming there's probably a list of some short. Uh, yeah. This one's so much. I did uh, see a couple other teams that he rejected. Including the Colts. Um, and I think the Packers were on that list too, actually. So that's awesome. I now yeah. love Julio Jones. Ben's now drafting him number one overall. I won't go that high. In the second round, get Tom Brady, your favorite quarterback. Something like like that. Might as well, right? All right, Ben, I'll I'll stop you from waiting here. Let's get into the fun stuff. We have have new alternate uniforms out there. First up, I'm not even going to talk about this one, Ben. I'm going to let you run with this one. So... I said I would talk a little bit about some of the things the Bears are doing this offseason to try and keep fans interested. This is one of them. I think making – this is the first helmet ever in Chicago Bears history where the primary color is not going to be navy blue. Um, and I think they just said, hey, we're going to do it. We're going to throw it out there because, as you can tell, the orange between the helmet and the jersey do not match. And for an NFL team, that is inexcusable. That said, that's really my only complaint with this. Yeah, it lacks imagination. Yeah, it's it's just an inverse, uh, the inverse color on the C there. So, yeah, I get why people don't like this. 
I'm okay with it. I wish they would have taken the secondary logo because it is basically an outline of a bare face. And then the orange fills it in anyway. So you don't have any type of alternate logo thrown up here now. Uh, overall, I think they did this to keep fans interested. I, there's really no other reason to do this. You look at all the other helmets they've had. They've had all kinds of different combinations and and different uh, configurations. They've got the one with the stripes on it. That's navy blue. Every throwback helmet's navy blue. They, they did this because everybody else is. I got to give them at least a little bit of props for not doing what the next two teams we're about to look at did. Um, but if they it's... wanted to keep fans involved, why did they go with the fighting Illini colors? My Ooh, goodness. That is, they got, uh, they that got is them the University of, of Illinois jerseys, dude. That's where, that's Oof. literally where their colors came from. Correct. When the bears were founded, they stole their colors from the University of Illinois. You are absolutely correct. <laughs> I, I will say Golly. this. The reason I'm I'm not I, I like the, the design. There's a couple things I want to hit on it. Uh, one, why go with the white pants on this? What like just if you're gonna go orange helmet on orange top, just just go <laughs> full orange and go with the orange uh, color rush pants. Just full send. They've they've no. also never had orange pants. So that was a fuck up in Madden, a hilarious one at that, but it was a fuck up. And for whatever reason, because I personally think the blue pants would look better with the orange tops. I That's always bad. have, but they've always yeah. gone white bottoms on the orange tops i've never liked that now the other orange creamsicle look (laughs) oh god that's one we haven't (laughs) seen officially announced yet surprisingly well all right the actual bucks creamsicle would be great we need to see that for sure i think it's coming back next year right i think that was the needs to happen it needs to happen this year with tom brady still on the team (laughs) now the next thing i'll i'll hit the bears on with this and this is really hitting every organization that's not doing this and you've already alluded to it, Ben. There are enough graphic designers out there that design these amazing alternate helmets that you can now do. Why are you trying to reinvent the wheel? The answer is they don't want to pay these guys. But I guarantee you, you could pay them just a measly sum of five grand and they'd be like, yeah, dude, do it. Take it, please. Uh, like, yeah, I don't. They, yeah. I, I sent like three or four to our group chat that I really enjoyed that will never happen because yep. of that. So. Right. Let's move on, though. We got two yep. more that were announced this week. Boom. Black. Congratulations, Arizona. Maximum effort. I was going to say, now they're going full blackout on this, though. When they wear which these, is... they're wearing their black tops and their black pants, which is going to look, honestly, I think it's going to look really good. Which is what our It will next... look better than the Jets doing that, I would yep, say. Which is what our next team is also doing, <laughs> the New York Jets. They went black out as well. Look, I'm just saying, their helmets are, are green now, correct? Yes. Should have gone throwback uh, yes. jumbo jet white helmets. Like, come on. Yes. Come 100%. the fuck on. Yeah, that, that, that was easy. That was, that was my – as soon as I heard they were doing a blackout, I was disappointed because yep. you could have you brought the white helmet back and they could have worn, you know, the the rule is helmet. It is not graphics on the helmet, which is how the Bears got away yep. with doing their alternates for so long. So, yeah, it, come on. Come the fuck on. Now, before we move on to college, I will say there are two more that we need to see. We've already announced one of them, the Buccaneers. And then, I mean, everybody's clamoring for it. I don't know which organization would go with it. We need to see the Oilers come back, at least for a game. We, we, we need to see the old well, school Oilers uniforms out there. I 
think the Titans. If anybody did it, it would have to be the Titans, and the Titans don't want to do that. So you're not going to see it, unfortunately. What I want to see more than anything right now is an 80s Seahawks throwback. Get those silver domes. Silver helmets. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. But but here's my thing. Nash, yeah. The Titans play in Houston twice a year. Or play in Houston one time a year, and they play them twice a year. Could you imagine making? Oh, I forget the name of their stadium, but could you imagine make it? Yeah, wearing some, some NRG road Oilers jerseys. Yeah, to road Oilers yeah. to to NRG and absolutely flipping that crowd. Like, come on, I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> it would be that would be really cool, and I agree with you that it should happen, but it won't happen, unfortunately. Also throw this out here. I wasn't here last week, but I'm disappointed in the Eagles for going blackout as well and not going with the Kelly Green throwbacks. That is uh, false. I They're will not forget Kelly Green. For they put it on their Twitter. Did they not have? Do not have a black a blackout one as well? They uh, they maybe, do, but they've always they do. Yeah, but I thought they, they do, a, but they have a Kelly Green. They put right. a picture on their own Twitter. So they have. Kelly so Green they're going to have two or three helmets. Yes. Oh, 2023, just like the Buccaneers. So there we go. Yeah. No worries. No worries. Crisis averted. All right, Doug. I'm going to pass it over so, to you. Yeah. For college, college man. News. Um, <laughs> I love this first story so much. Just, if just get it out remember, so I can get it loose. Back in the day, the, the olden days of yore, when uh, you weren't allowed to pay college players anything, <laughs> uh, Tennessee coach. <laughs> Jeremy Pruitt got caught handing over McDonald's bag full of money to a potential player. <laughs> and was and, thusly uh, denied. Among things, amongst other things. So the NCAA just let Tennessee know they found 18 different violations. There has not been a punishment set yet for Tennessee. Um, Loose scholarships, all of them, death penalty. They don't deserve that team they, anymore. They something will probably happen to them. Uh, it's also really hilarious to me. This is absolutely the last team the NCAA will be able to do anything about because now the floodgates are open. And uh, literally Memphis, this week, Memphis is still getting romance by the NCAA. So don't worry, there will be two teams in Tennessee feeling the big blue penis of the uh, NCAA. Well, that's good. I, I I'm so glad the NCAA is cracking down because. <laughs> Are they this cracking week, down or cracking up? Like I, I don't know how this goes. Cracking anymore. up at their try, attempts at cracking down. Let me put it that way. Uh, this week, a bunch of Big Ten players have tried to form a union again. If you'll remember, the Big Ten players tried to do that before, led by at the time Northwestern quarterback Clayton Thorson, and now they're led by Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford, trying to create kind of a college football players union and get a piece of the pie of this new Big Ten media deal, which would be insane. Also, uh, that goes exactly against the rules that Tennessee's just getting punished for right now. So this is hilarious to me that this is even being potentially considered. But them getting paid from the media deal is 100% in line with name images and likeness. So it's... This is beautiful. This Kinda. is beautiful in so many ways. It, 
I'm surprised Penn State's able to get out there and act- actively try and do something without having the NCAA breathe down their back, though, after yet another allegation came up. But we're not talking about that one. No, 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 because they weren't paying their players. It's fine, guys. It's oh, fine. oh. Yeah. My bad. Come on. What are, what are we even talking about? Sexual assault? Harassment? Who cares? It's all about the money. That is 100% not our views. This is satire on the NCAA's <laughs> punishment policies. Please do Look, not come I, us or cancel us. So you were joking that Tennessee doesn't deserve a program, which is hilarious. I have held the firm opinion for the last several years, Penn State should not be allowed to operate as a team, as a university, as a whole anymore. That was so messed up. Michigan State, too. Which kind of rolls us nicely into the fact that the Big Ten is open to further expansion. Right. So, <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, um, yeah, they just added USC and UCLA. Big Ten media days just started. So, of course, that's all Kevin Warren's getting asked about. Are the additions of USC and UCLA? How's that's going to affect the Big Ten? And he's like, hold up. We have like two years without them still. Let's talk about this coming season. Uh, but, of course, reporters don't know how to shut up. So they kept getting asked about further expansion. And as opposed to what the SEC did last week, where Greg Sankey essentially said, mm, nah, we kind of don't really care to keep expanding. I don't know that we need to. Is anyone really going to bring any competitive edge to the conference that we don't already have? Which, fair enough, I guess. In the Big Ten, Kevin Warren's over here saying, um, well, we're open to business. We're still in consideration of, I, he said specifically, I have a few teams in mind that I wouldn't mind having. Uh, obviously didn't list who those teams were. But then CBS Sports put out a report that said, uh, they, well, they're in talks with four more Pac-12 schools. Um, which Gavin Newsom would like this one. Cal's on that list. Yeah. Uh, So is Stanford, Oregon, and Washington. Now, obviously, Oregon and Washington, because they're the most competitive, Stanford and Cal make sense academically. It's probably the best of both worlds as far as trying to bring in legitimate good sports teams and legitimate academic powerhouses like what the Big Ten tries to be. So the problem with that right now is that none of those four teams are really worth the kind of money that the Big Ten is looking at on a new media deal. What does that mean for these four teams? It would probably look like a reduced payout, which has never really happened before in any conference. It's been theorized, but it's never been implemented where everybody that was already in the Big Ten would get like 100 mil a year from the new media deal, and these teams might get 50, which is a brutal step down and kind of hard to reconcile. At the same time, if they stayed in the Pac-12, that media contract that was just offered by ESPN was only $24.5 million a year per school. So it's still worth it to go to the Big Ten, even though you're getting less than everybody else. 
have you, which have you is heard, just, that's brutal. Have you heard the proposed breakdown uh, for the revenue sharing in the Pac-12? I heard that it was in Oregon, Washington's favor, uh, where they were probably getting 40% of the, the revenue and everybody else was getting reduced payouts as well. So it's, so, so it's going to be a messed up structure either way. That's a little different than what I saw. Uh, okay. What I saw is that Oregon and Washington are going to get 16.5% a piece, 16.5% a piece. Mm. Sanford and Cal will get 13.5% a piece. And then the other six teams, schools, will split the remaining 40% equally. If I'm Colorado, I, I'm gone. I'm, yeah, I mean, this is the exact reason Colorado left the Big 12 in the first place. But now what Texas was trying to do this. Yeah, well, Texas did with the Longhorn Network. And that's why that's why right. the Big 12 fell apart in the beginning. So if you're pissed off about college football realignment, blame Texas. It's all Texas' fault is, and has been for a long goes, time. It all goes back to the Longhorn Network. All, all I'm uh, saying. Legitimately, legitimately, Texas A&M, Nebraska, Colorado, yeah. Missouri, all scrambled because, oh my gosh, Texas is ruining us. All, all oh, I'm going to go ahead and say is you really cannot be wrong in, in, in Bug's eyes. If you just blame UT for everything that ever happens, whether it's Texas or Tennessee, you don't even have to define it. Just blame UT and he's with you. If for some reason it's University of Tampa, I'll get on board with that too. <laughs> <why not? laughs> oh, this is. Uh, yeah. So, so it's. So here's my question with this, though, Doug. Okay. If you're going to reduce Stanford and you're going to reduce, you know, Washington, Oregon, all those guys, right? Reduce their payouts. Mm-hmm. How can you justify leaving Nebraska where it's at? They are a college football blue blood, and you don't lose that status by going three and nine one year. <laughs> one year? Is is Oregon? not Well, I, they are a more modern blue blood. Not not back in the, the history of it, I guess. But the UW's closer to being a blue blood than Oregon is, and neither of them are that close. Stanford's pretty close. Nah. Uh, no, Cal. Cal's problem is that Stanford had like five good. Cal's years. problem is they had Aaron Rodgers, and they're probably still paying him for what they owed him when he played there. So, well, their their <laughs> bigger problem is they they feel like academic. They they put a they, lot of stress on. They academics. try to be. They try to too be hard, and they're yeah, a public exactly. school, so it doesn't count. Exactly. <laughs> and that's where it leaves. Uh, I would say it's more confusing to me. Why doesn't Oregon and Washington get a hundred mil a year and you reduce Rutgers, Maryland, yeah. Illinois, Purdue, right? The schools that legitimately don't make you that kind of money. Um, I don't know. I don't know. This would be really weird if it happens. It would bring the Big Ten up to twenty teams and the Pac twelve down to four. What? Six? Yeah, it sounds about right, actually. Uh, hey, and the Pac-12 has a tendency to yeah. change their conference name based on how many teams. So I'm expecting the, at this point, the Pac-10 to come the back. Pac six. Yeah, da- maybe maybe down to the, the six, six pack. pack. Yeah. <laughs> that would be fantastic. All, if that's what happens. All I'm I saying is, if they went with the name the six, six Pack, pack they might steal all of the them. SEC fans. I would watch the six pack. Arizona, Arizona State. Um, Washington Utah. State, Oregon State, 
Utah, Colorado, the six pack. Yes. I need this to happen now. <laughs> oh goodness. Twelve billion dollars per school per year <laughs> for six pack rights. The question Let's is which beer would sponsor the network. I was gonna say which which beer would sponsor them? Takati. They sponsor everything. It, it have to be Pibber, man. You get the six pack and you just You think anybody hold on, hold on, hold on. You think anybody on the West Coast is drinking fucking PBR? No, but that's why Pibber needs to do it. They need to get in that market, man. It's probably gonna be some Mexican beer. It's probably gonna be Medellin. Takati. Takati. Fuck you. Fuck you. Modelo. Pacific Groner. <laughs> Let's get out of college news that's all i got <laughs> yeah if you're uh if you're joining us and you're seeing the title here we are going to get to our nsc or afc east rather and acc previews here shortly we do just have uh some non-nfl pro news to get to here shortly i might get interrupted here in a minute uh of course you know the usfl has stuff going on there's guys getting shots at camps that's awesome the fcf has some stuff kind of going on in the background. We've talked about it a little bit. It's still kind of going on here. That's awesome. Major League Football apparently still looking like potentially they will actually exist. Awesome as well. But the only thing that matters right now is the XFL. They had a huge town hall. We're recording this on Thursday the 27th. I believe this town hall took place on Tuesday the 25th, if I'm uh, remembering correctly. Today's definitely Wednesday, but okay. Wednesday the 27th. Jesus Christ. So it took place on Monday the 25th. <laughs> I looked at the date on my computer too. It's been, been a long week for me. Uh, this town hall took place in Arlington, Texas, which is where the XFL will also uh, be having their hub in Arlington, Texas. The eight teams and coaches were announced and confirmed. Hold on one second, guys. I'll be right back. All right. I'll run through this then. Uh, we got... In Arlington, we got Bob Stoops coming back. Uh, he used to be an XFL head coach for the team that used to be in Dallas, but they're staying in the same stadium, and they're still going to be called Arlington, uh, which is actually really cool. I appreciate that. Yep. It would be as if the Washington Commanders started going by the Landover Commanders, like where they're technically from. Oh, God. I would respect it. It's all right. Uh, I was just talking about how it's Arlington now and not Dallas. That's great. I love it. Right. So it's worth mentioning too. Uh, we talked about this several weeks ago. XFL Newsroom thought they had a leak and it uh, looks like it was right. Arlington, Texas, Dallas uh, is going to be one of the hosts, is going to be one of the teams. Makes sense. That's where uh, the hub is. They're going to be playing at what is formerly known as the ballpark in Arlington. Choctaw Stadium, I believe, is the official name of that. Uh, that it's venue. where the Rangers play, isn't it? It's where they used to play. They play at Globe Life okay. now, but it's literally right next to it. Globe uh, Life, right? Yeah. <laughs> we also have Houston, Texas, once again, uh, returning to another city. Wade Phillips will be coaching that team. We mentioned Bob Stoops returning to Arlington, Dallas, yep. Arlington, yes. Dallas, whatever. Yep. Uh, Orlando, Florida. Terry Buckley will be coaching there, and. Orlando hosted the best team in the AAF three years ago now, I guess is when that was. This is a big move for them of note. Tampa Bay is not going to be hosting an XFL team this year. 
So I, I wonder if they'll be the Orlando Vipers. It, I, there is no uh, indication one way or another if teams will have the same names. Houston, of course, had the issue with the Roughnecks. That was the only one that had a problem. Uh, I don't see – New York is also not going to be hosting a team. Spoiler alert. So I don't know if the Guardians will remain. That one kind of fit with the New York theme they had there. Uh, L.A. was the Wildcats, also not hosting a team. Wildcats can kind of slide in anywhere. Well, now Guardians is a Cleveland baseball team. Also that. Also that. And uh, I bring those two, New York and L.A., up because the next two cities here, Las Vegas, coached by Rod Woodson, and San Antonio, coached by Heinz Ward. Both of those are new cities. Worth mentioning, Las Vegas, if you remember all the way back in 2002, was one of the original XFL cities. The original XFL city, in my mind. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. So it's awesome to see the XFL returning to Las Vegas. I know the fans are going to love having a team out there. They've supported the Raiders and they are crazy about the professional sports teams out in Las Vegas. The XFL, if they can bring back some of that grit that they had back in 02, it's good. they're going to fit in perfectly in Vegas. San Antonio was the best city for AAF football back in 2019. By far. So if you are if you're on the fence about there being three teams in Texas, which I think is reasonable, San Antonio is not a mistake by any means. San Antonio is going to show up and show out at the Alamo Dome, which I have to assume is where they're going to play. That city wants an NFL team so badly, and they want pro football in that city so badly. Seattle is returning, had, in my opinion, the best environment. Maybe St. Louis, who is also returning, and I'll talk about those. Right. Two teams That's in a top bit. three. Uh, yeah, non-NFL pro cities right there. Exactly. So San, San Antonio San just slid in to the top San three Luis. of that, right? right. So, I mean, right. it's it, it's going to be an exciting atmosphere really around the entire XFL, but adding San Antonio is huge. Going back to Seattle where Jim Hazlitt will be coaching is huge. And, of course, going back to St. Louis and Dome of the Americas, Anthony Betch, Bench, Beach, Beck. Becht. Oh, I got it. I finally got it. Anthony. Anthony. (laughs) I I almost did. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, three amazing cities and how can we forget Washington, DC, the Snake getting a ton of love from the defenders. I hope that's the team name that comes back. I hope they're able to get into the same venue there. Reggie Barlow will be coaching the team out of Washington. Guys, we have we have cities officially. We have coaches officially. Players have been doing I, camps all summer. I'm excited. Great. I I do got to say I'm a little disappointed in in where they chose, and and not because they're bad cities, but they they're piggybacking off of a lot of cities that already have a football team in the market. I would have liked them to expand out a little bit. I'm sure that's coming in future years, but like Orlando, San Antonio, love that. Right. Those are cities clamoring for an NFL team uh, or or just professional football, like you were saying. But <coughs> Dallas, it's Houston, like it's <sighs> half and half. They actually have less teams in NFL cities than the XFL 2.0 did. And either I agreed. It's just I w- would have wished for like as opposed to Arlington. Give me like an OKC. Right. That that's just kind of where I'm coming from. That's why I'm happy they dropped L.A., Tampa and and New York. I mean, L.A. and New York Here's have the problem, though. four teams the problem, between the though. two of them. How many people live in OKC? 
37. Yeah. I mean, OKC is not. <laughs> I, I've driven in I, a lot I get of cities it. in this country. OKC does not stress me out to drive in. <laughs> like, right. No, I, if, if, I, if I'm in your city and I'm not like white knuckling the wheel, I mean, I love OKC, but yeah, I can't even come to Louisville without white knuckling. So that's uh... a. <laughs> no, but like even even better, Louisville would have been a fantastic city to put an XFL team in, right? That's would it though. I don't give, think Louisville would support it. Here, here, really here it don't. is. Give me one in Memphis after they Memphis, got robbed of an Memphis NFL team. Has not done a good job of like Memphis has kind of gotten robbed of teams, but Memphis doesn't support a team and like Memphis will not support a football team if it's not a winner. So you almost have to stack yeah. that team for them to get people to come out. We saw it with the AF. And trust and me, they're I've too seen late it with, on Birmingham. With the Tigers. So, yeah, no, yeah. I know Birmingham's out, yeah. but that's that's I mean, all I'm saying. And like I said, I understand them going with these because they need to build the brand first. Over time, I am ex- <laughs> I am expecting them to kind of expand out into those smaller markets that haven't been tapped yet. Yeah, I mean XFL in Bentonville, Arkansas. <laughs> I think Bentonville, Arkansas, would to you live. From Richmond, Virginia. Of them. It's not actually a professional studio. It's just a dude on his uh, ham radio in the back. Or on his laptop <laughs> in his man cave in his house. Somewhere no, 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 his... no. That sounds too sophisticated. It's got to be the ham radio. <laughs> so we got, we got a couple of offensive coordinators and defensive quarter, coordinators revealed as well. Big names. We had all of them. but the We had all of them, but there were some more that were more important than others. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know most of them. So, <laughs> you want to go over? You want me to? I, which way are we going? You're trying to steal it from me, but you're not at the same time. I wasn't trying to steal it from you. I was just saying that uh, I didn't know any of these other guys. I'll, so I'll say this: the guys I knew. <laughs> I'll say this: June Jones is going to be the offensive coordinator for Seattle. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator for the Houston Roughnecks back in 2020. And they had one of the best fucking offenses in the league. So I'm excited because I was a arbitrarily a Seattle Dragons fan last time around. And if I do once again go with the team out of Seattle, I'd love to see June Jones implement his offense there and make them actually a good team as opposed to what they were this last time. I'm not going to pro- try and pronounce this last very Italian or uh, Polish last name. Gradkowski. Gradkowski. There we yeah. go. Brad Gad- Gradkowski. Oh, you almost, almost, you almost, almost jacked it. it. He's going to be the offensive coordinator Brad Gradkowski in St. Louis. <laughs> uh, is this, this looks like it's his first coaching assignment. Last yeah. seen in the NFL as a player yeah. back in 2016 for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Not I remember him with the as a quarterback. And uh, I don't remember him being very good. But sometimes not very good quarterbacks turn into excellent coaches. He so he had a ten year NFL career. So I mean, Can, and he didn't start a lick of it. I don't know. That, <laughs> fine with me. I'd right. take it. Right. I I also want to go back to the fact that you thought a name ending in ski was Italian before you realized it was Polish. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it kind of goes both ways. I promise. It, wow, it we're gonna leave that phrasing alone. Uh, moving on, some big name defensive coordinators. Ron Zook, who has also got some experience in the spring football league, 
realm. He was a special teams coordinator and secondary coach for the Salt Lake Stallions back in 2019 of the AAF. Been all over college and NFL. Unfortunately, he was also part of that Bounty Gate scandal back there in New Orleans. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that stuff's fine in the XFL this time around. It uh, depends no, how close Greg they're Williams. trying to get to XFL 1. That was Greg Williams. I'm long week, guys. I'm, I'm, you're, I'm you're good, man. Place. I I was typing. I thought you had jumped to Greg Williams when I was typing in, so you rolled with it. And I was like, oh, okay, we're already here. Sweet. Yeah, Greg Williams was the one associated with Bounty Gate. He's going to be the defensive coordinator for the Washington team. Uh, most recently was the defensive coordinator for the New York Jets. So don't expect Washington's defense to do a bunch uh, unless he can t- play his payers to try and kill somebody again. I, I think you're underplaying his involvement. He wasn't the one just involved. He was the one actively putting the bounties out and let's, paying his Let's players. look at how bad the defenses he's had since then were, though. So he was a defensive that coordinator one for the season. Saints. That one season when he was DC for the Browns was like not that terrible. I seem to remember. So okay, 2019 to 2011, he was DC for the Saints. 2012 for the St. Louis Rams. That defense was horrible. Yep. A senior yep. assistant defensive coach for the Tennessee Titans in 2013. Ass. Defense. Yeah. Number one. Uh, then pick. he was You're with the Rams. He was with the Rams again from 2014 to 2016 when they moved from St. Louis to L.A. Ass. And everybody just assumed they would lose every single game because the defense was so bad. Mm-hmm. But that was also about the time they got Aaron Donald. <sighs> Something like that. 2017, 2018, he was with the Browns and eventually became the interim head coach in 2018. And in 2019 and 2020, was with the New York football Jets. Ugh. I mean... He has connections. <laughs> it's not it's not what you know, it's who you know. <laughs> Clearly, he doesn't know much, but he knows a lot of people. So these teams are also going to have directors of team operations and directors of player personnel combined. They're basically going to fill a GM role. This is not going to be uh, like the XFL, AF, or USFL, where we've seen just a single owner here. It's going to be a little bit of a different flavor here. I think it's going to be for the betterment of the league instead of one person or one collective group trying to be in charge of everything when you're supposed to be going at each other. Right. I, I, I'm I, not going to count my chickens before they hatch. I've been burned by too many of these spring leagues. Only one of them has kept me happy for more than one spring, and that, is, of course, is the FCF. So I'm excited for the XFL. I will never not be excited for the XFL to come back. For right now, we are... We got a lot of good news coming in from them. Just got to wait and see it on the field. And more more importantly, see them in 2024. Which is not – let me let me backtrack a little bit here. We want to see them in 2023 when they say they're going to play. And then we want to see them in 2024 as well. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I think that does it for the news. And now it's time for NFL Division Preview. Uh, We're going to go back and forth now because Tug is going to take the AFC divisions. Bug's going to take the NFC divisions when we do this going forward. So this week is the AFC East, which means, Tug, it's your turn to shine. Go for it, bud. All right, so the AFC East, obviously, uh, just going to go over last year's results here first. The Bills uh, 
won the division 11 and six. They lost to the Chiefs in the divisional round. Uh, the Dolphins went nine and eight and missed the playoffs again, but ended the season with a win against the Patriots in week 18. Uh, that marked Which, a remarkable turnaround of that season that they had there. Uh, the Patriots, because the Patriots made the playoffs and the Dolphins yeah, didn't. I'm going to say the Patriots finished 10 and seven, uh, lost in the wild card to the Bills, <laughs> and then the Jets finished uh, four and 13 and lost to the Bills in week 18. So the Bills are ending pretty much everybody's season out here, uh, except the Chiefs. Uh, not a ton oh. of coaching moves throughout the division. Uh, Bills are keeping Sean McDermott. Obviously, they lost Brian Dable. So you have Ken Dorsey being promoted from within to offensive coordinator. Uh, They have Leslie Frazier. It's actually his fourth or fifth season as the defensive coordinator, but he has also been promoted to uh, assistant head coach. The uh, Patriots are making absolutely no changes. They're keeping Bill on for his 24th season with no offensive coordinator and no defensive coordinator. Uh, He's just the mad genius himself who does it. Uh, and then the wait, Jets. Wait, wait. I mean, that feels like a Bill change, O'Brien though, because it's not idea anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, didn't wasn't uh, McDaniel? Josh. That's McDaniels. true. Yeah. Wasn't so they they lost Josh McDaniels, and they really hired nobody to replace him. Um, That's cool. That's a very yeah right. Move. Uh, he's tired of of promoting these offensive coordinators and then losing them, and defensive coordinators, and same thing, and then tarnishing his Isn't legacy. The de facto, the, the de, like de facto defensive coordinator is his son, right? I so, believe I believe Steve Belichick is the defensive play caller. Yes, with the yeah, beautiful so. mullet. Yes, and, and that weird <laughs> weird shoe he does hood. on the sidelines. Yeah. Uh, the Jets are staying put with Rob Sala, uh, Mike LaFleur, and Jeff Ulbrich uh, as I their have... coaching. Sorry, finish your thought. I was going to say with, with their second season at, at the helm. Uh, Doug, I'm going to let you go before I cover Miami's coaching changes. I have heard, and I don't know if you guys have heard this, it is rumored that Sean Payton may be uh, I, I taking hate over you. for the Jets. Oh, after this season, uh, which is brutal because if they know that already, why would they let Sala just do a lame duck here? So does this mean but, uh, Tom Brady's trying to buy part of the Jets too, and he's going to go there as well? <laughs> that would be hilarious. Get Bill Belichick back for another like two minutes. I I will. I'll throw this <laughs> out here. All the Jets have to do is win four games. And they will have won more in the past two years than they did in the previous two years. Like, yeah. I, it, it doesn't make sense to me that you would come out and even let this get out into the world that you're going to replace Robert Salah and his staff when they are making market improvements over what your team has been. I know. I actually think this Jets team's not going to be that bad. So I don't. I don't think they're finishing better than last place in the league. I mean. In the league or the division? division. Or in the division. I I agree with that, but it's not their fault. I think they're definitely improving and making steps in the right direction. So They would need to win five games, five games to tie, and they would have to meet their projection to win more than they had in the past few years. Either way, that's not an insurmountable task for them. That's not hard. Like, (laughs) six games. You say that. Uh, The – the Browns had guaranteed us two wins a few years back to double their win total and won none. So, <laughs> they, well, okay. 
but the Jets are not coached by Hugh Jackson, so <laughs> they'll be okay. The Jets also won't end a losing streak with a tie. That is only something the Browns can pull off. <laughs> All right. Going into Miami, uh, they hired Mike McDaniel, the offensive coordinator out of San Francisco, and then uh, fired both of their uh, offensive coordinators, uh, George Godsey and Eric Studsville. Um, Studsville, get it right. I'm sorry, Studsville. Uh, And hired Frank Smith, (laughs) the Rams running game coordinator and offensive line coach. That being said, Miami did rehire Studsville uh, to be the associate head coach and running back coach. Uh, so Studsville stays oh, on. Shit. George Godsey is very gone. And uh, we have one offensive coordinator, which is a win. I'm just glad you kept Studsville. <laughs> I mean, I'm down with it. I love that name. I think he's probably a mediocre coach, but his name is amazing. So <laughs> keep him forever. All name team. Surprisingly, surprisingly, no changes in the defensive coordinators uh, across the entire division. Uh, We've got uh, Josh Boyer coming back from Miami uh, for his third season leading that defense, which has been honestly kind of outstanding the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, that being said, outside (laughs) of Doug's shocking report of Sean Payton maybe already going to New York. I mean, the the actual report was it's probably still the Cowboys, but the Jets are like in. Has he gone and stayed over Jerry Jones's house yet? Um, No, that's just for Mike McCarthy. Oh, yeah, I think him him and Mike McCarthy are the same coach. (laughs) Why would you go from one to the other? Because one has a better name and valid. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> other than that mysterious report, do you guys see anybody on the hot seat out in out in the AFC East this year? Salah because check. he's coaching in New York. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is slightly McDermott more. On the hot seat. Mine is slightly <laughs> more valid than Bill Belichick in New England. <laughs> No, the only possible answer is Robert Sala, and he shouldn't be. I don't think he actually is either. That was just a random report that I saw. So, I, I'm saying report aside, just because of how New York is. The problem I mean, is fair. the The thing that I think will protect him is I don't think the Giants are going to be any fucking good either. So it's not even like he's going to be compared to another team in the same stadium, not just same city, same fucking stadium. Mm-hmm. They're it's literally all going to be how does the media treat him, and that is that's that's going to determine the future of Robert Salah, in my opinion. That's fair. All right, looking down NFL Network's projected records this year, you've got the Bills chilling with another division win at eleven and six. They're projecting eleven point four wins. Uh, Miami's sitting at eight point six, so I rounded up and gave them nine and eight. Uh, the New England Patriots are projected to finish second with. Nine and eight with nine point one wins, and then the Jets are pulling in. Ben, like you said, they're they're pulling it out, uh, going six and eleven with a five point nine uh, projected win total. There, uh, honestly, I think close to what I projected. I was gonna say I think all of those are actually very realistic, uh, give or take the standard deviation to bring some nerd stuff into this. 
you just had to say standard deviation to sound uh-huh. smart, didn't you? No, but now I do. All right. Podcast turning into Nerdsville. Let's bring back Studsville. I, <laughs> I understand. Uh, NFL Network has not really projected anybody to have anything, any insane win totals, which I think is fair. Going in and legitimately predicting anybody to go undefeated or have one or two losses, that's a bold claim to make and a very uh, risky stance to take, especially when you are the NFL Network right but it does happen every year (laughs) it happens every year and i think the bills might be poised to be one of those teams to do it i could see them going six and oh in the division i could see them going five and one in the division again 11 i feel like total is probably a little low for them i yeah i also thought that last year and they went 11 and six so it's they're playing a first place schedule again that division but, is still tough. Miami got better. I mean, the Patriots, it should at least in theory the Jets be got better. better. The, the Jets, Jets definitely got better. Got better. So I, just, I don't think 11 and 6 is that crazy. I, the Bills have got to turn a corner. I think if they don't turn a corner this year, I, Sean McDermott is not going to be on the hot seat. Sean McDermott. But I think you got to start questioning some things about the direction of this team because they just, they're going to consistently underachieve. Once again, we will have an actual like playoff preview show and all that after we wrap up all the divisions. I'll go ahead and spoil a little bit. I do actually have the Bills making the Super Bowl this year. I also have them going eleven and six. So I think it's they are a really good team, but this division is very good. One hundred percent Josh Allen cannot be the leading rusher, and they're not getting any help with Elijah Holyfield being on the pup list or it was it an actual football injury? Like he's he's out right now. So they have nobody in the backfield. Devin well, Singletary, I don't even know what's going on with him anymore, if he's even still on the team. So Devin Singletary is still on the team. You've got James Cook coming in, who I think is going to be – he's not going to be your bell cow, but he's a good change of pace back behind uh, Devin Singletary. Actually, I think James Cook has a higher ceiling than Devin Singletary. Um, I'm not claiming that James Cook is going to be Dalvin, but a, he's not a, a pushover back either. Mike Tackett, thank you for that comment, by the way. Yeah, I mean, they've got to turn a corner eventually. That's that's all it comes down to. And here's my my point to that, though, Ben, is I agree. they got to turn a corner, but they don't need to turn a corner in the regular season. They need to get over the hump in, in the playoffs. They, going 11-6 playoff, and winning the division is you, not a bad – And anything you, can happen. You do that by getting a legitimate run game that's not your quarterback. Oh, I agree. You also do that by not losing the coin toss in overtime. So – I'm tired of that argument. That's I, I had to make it a joke. Um, anyway, no. Uh, words. I do want to get into the depth charts here. Uh, undoubtedly, I, I, I will... see. Actually, I see a problem with the depth charts. You have Tua listed first, and it should be Skylar Thompson. I hate you. Water and then Tua. I hate you. <laughs> um... <laughs> That being said, I actually do think that this is pretty much in order left to right. You can swap the middle two for me. Uh, I think they're actually about even. But So Josh Allen's best quarterback in the league, best quarterback room in this league right now, uh, especially bringing in all-time backup Case Keenum there for the Bills. In the uh, league or in the division? Because the league is a hot team. In the division. In the division. I'm sorry. In the okay. Division. All right. I, I, I do like Tua, and, and regardless of what you guys say, Tua's arm needs help. 
yes, but he has the accuracy that is top tier in the league. He has a top tier accuracy. He has the accuracy that only Tua could provide. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> if I'm looking at these based on the depth of the room, I would put Miami second with Teddy Bridgewater pulling backup duty um, over Brian Hoyer. But I really do think Tua and Mac Jones are about equal. Um, I don't know, dude. That deadly combo the Jets have with Joe Flacco and Mike White. That's that's pretty Yeah, Yeah, we're just going to ignore you. <laughs> we're about to start ignoring your, your comments here, Tug. All right. So I actually think Zach Wilson has a chance to do something this year yeah. uh, just because the situation is so much better. And it, you know, there's a certain level of talent you need to be a first-round pick at quarterback. I mean, we saw it this year. The quarterbacks weren't right, and so they didn't get picked. That It's legitimate. There needs to be a certain level of talent. For Zach Wilson to go as high as he did, everybody saw something, right? And it almost doesn't matter at that point which first-round quarterback you're talking about. If you put them in the right situation, they will succeed. So that line is better. The receiving core is better. That running back room is better. Everything about that offense is better around Zach Wilson and going into his second season. This could be a great year for him. I don't think he's going to be better than Josh Allen. He's probably still the fourth best quarterback in the division, honestly. Yeah. Maybe maybe jumps Tua, though. Depending on how Tua actually performs, that is a legitimate concern for Tua. Tua might be the fourth best quarterback in this division. No, and, and, and you're not wrong. Um, there, there, Tua does need to take a step forward. Uh, there's, there's no doubts about that. I think he can, I think he's got the weapons now. He doesn't have the excuses. Um, and his line got that much better too. Miami has basically revamped and reworked that entire offensive line. The only thing I don't like is the projection for Austin Jackson, Austin Jackson to be out at tackle. Uh, if you gave me Teron Armstead, uh, Liam Eichenberg at the tackle positions, and then Robert Hunt and Austin Jackson at the guard positions, that's a solid line because Austin Jackson has absolutely you, improved play at the guard position. If you gave me Austin Jackson as your third string guard, that would be golden. You've hated him <laughs> since college. There is there is one out for you. quarterback room in this division that does not have a proven starter as their backup, and that is the Patriots. They have Mac Jones. Brian Horr's proven to be a great backup. And he Bailey Zappi, who knows what he could be. He had that Brian one year Horner in 08. One year. Yeah. 08. He had that one year. Case Keenum had a better one year in Minnesota. And I would argue Very Case true. Keenum probably should still be a starter somewhere. The Jets have a Super Bowl champion. And wasn't Joe Flacco a Super Bowl MVP on their bench? Like, no. He wasn't the MVP. No, it was Ray Lewis. Right, it was Ray Lewis that year. Now you're gonna make me Google some stuff. Yeah, now we're gonna have to look it up. Either Teddy way, Bridgewater my... has had a great, great career as a starter. Yep, in multiple places. So, a lot of great quarterback rooms. I want to take us straight to oh, the. Wow, you were right. It is Joe Flacco? Told you, Super Bowl oh. MVP. I want that to go so to the running. Back. I didn't want to believe it. I want to go to the oh. running back rooms because we talked a lot about. Uh, the Bills running back situation. We got a comment here from Mike Tackett again. Can Buffalo make a trade to acquire Tony Pollard? I think he's been productive as Zeke minus that contract. I would love it because immediately he's the future back in Buffalo and he elevates that team immensely. Oh my, I would love that 100%. Here's the thing though. 
I think the Cowboys know that too. And I don't think they would part with him because that one, two punch is actually about the best thing Dallas has going for him. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I will say across the board, I think all of the running back rooms got at least a little better. The Patriots stayed the same, but they had the best running back room last year in the division. Granted that wasn't saying much, um, but no, across the board, the bills got better adding James cook, uh, definitely having to play Zach Moss less is a win. Uh, I, and I, I do, I think James Cook's going to very quickly take over that, that number one back role. I don't know if he's going to be the feature back. I think it's going to be a running back, running back by committee between him and, uh, him and, De- uh, God Devin Singletary. Yeah. yeah. Um, Miami has made massive changes in the, uh, running back. Yeah, you're not starting year. miles trash can anymore. No, uh, it, actually, I would say out of the four running backs I have here, Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Sony Michelle, Miles Gaskin, and Salvin Ahmed, one of those has to go. Um, I don't know who. Uh, Sony Michelle came in late. He is a very specific type of back with uh, catching it out of the backfield, which is a role that Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds can both fill as well. So to me, looking at this right now, he seems like the odd man out. Um, but so, against. Then again, so does Miles Gaskin. The only thing I can say is Miami is 100%, even just based on Mike McDaniel's system. Uh, and then looking at this running back room, Miami is 100% going to be a running back by committee. Uh, the Patriots are always a running back by committee. It's just Bill sticks his hand back, picks out a running back, and throws him on the field. Uh, and then the Jets have their feature back in Brees Hall. Uh, it's a good speed combination there to then turn around on third down and bring in Michael Carter to pound it down the middle. Uh, that's I, I like all of these running back rooms. I'm not going to say any of them are going to be the best in the NFL, but I like the moves that these, these guys are making to improve these running back rooms. Absolutely. No, I love Brees Hall, so that's a great addition. And uh, the Patriots are doing whatever they do. That is what it is. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to kind of run through some other major additions here. Uh, Miami added in Tyreek Hill and Cedric Wilson into the uh, wide receiver room. Uh, the Patriots added in Devontae Parker and Tyquan Thornton. And the Jets, we cannot brush over it, have Garrett Wilson currently listed as third on the jet depth chart. Uh, probably more likely your number one guy out there. Um, for tight ends, again, the Jets are making some significant changes. They're bringing in CJ Uzama, Tyler Conklin, and Jeremy Ruckert. And then tight ends out of Buffalo are adding OJ Howard. Other than that, honestly, looking down the list, the defensive ha- defenses have stayed almost entirely the same. Couple additions here and there. Uh, Sauce Gardner is the big one. Well, Von Miller. Yeah, Sauce Gardner. Von Miller's the big one <laughs> out of out of the Jeff Von Miller for Buffalo with that massive contract. Uh, and then Jermaine Johnson is not a pushover either that the Jets have added. Well, we're we're not going to talk about Malcolm Butler. I, I'm yeah, just saying, no. DJ Uzama's <laughs> handful of amazing games he had last year definitely made him a valuable asset for any team to want to add. And I think the Jets got a real, got some real value there. It's going to help their offense immensely. And then OJ Howard going to Buffalo, I, I would say tight end was almost as weak as running back for them. Adding OJ Howard changes that completely. Yes, absolutely. Actually, the Jets' three tight ends set here with Uzama, Conklin, and Ruckert now. That's deadly. Nobody got to see how great of a tight end Jeremy Ruckert is just because Ohio State doesn't use their tight ends that much. He is legitimately a fantastic tight end prospect. And 
I suspect he will jump Tyler Conklin before too long on this depth chart. Absolutely. And then finally, guys, uh, like I said, no major changes on the defenses outside of Von Miller, uh, Sauce Gardner, and Jermaine Johnson. I do want to close it out with uh, one shout out for the special teamers out there. Uh, the Bills bringing in Matt Arazia uh, as their punter for this year. My dude Ariza. can Ariza, My dude can punt it a mile just inconsistently. So if he can clean that consistency up, the Bills have an absolute field flipper. They could start on their 10 and punt it inside the 20 and, and be chilling. Um, so absolute amazing pickup. They just got to get his consistency up. Uh, but with that, Doug, I will throw it well, to you. I want to say to you, we mentioned Vaughn Miller, but it still felt like you kind of brushed over him. What I think is more important with this, Ed Oliver was already tearing teams up on the inside. Having Vaughn Miller on the outside, this is going to be a very tough defensive line to handle. Oh yeah. It absolutely is. But Doug, I will throw it to you. Where do you have the division ending up? I kind of spoiled it already. I'm very similar to what you just threw up there with the NFL.com projections. Um, I mean, the Jets are going to finish last in this division. It's not because they're not better. Um, Mike Tackett actually left another comment saying they're probably a seven or eight win team if they're not in the AFC East. Right. I, I definitely believe that for sure. This is a 500 team if they're in a weak division. They're not in a weak division. Uh, which hurts everybody else too. So the Jets probably going to be like six and eleven or so. Um, that, like you said, Tug, the Dolphins, Patriots, kind of interchangeable right now. I'll take the Dolphins just to be different to finish second. That would mean the Patriots third. Of course, the Bills are the class of this division at the moment, but it feels like that could change at any time, and they need to figure a couple positions out still before they become like powerhouses, but yeah, bills are probably still the best team in this division. And Ben, what, what do you have going on here? So of course I've got the bills first. I've got the jets last. What I would love to see is this dolphins Patriots game. Cause I'm going to write off the Patriots last game of the season. It's January 8th against the bills. I'm write this off is not meaning as much as the game the week before. It's going to be against the Dolphins. The Dolphins have a tendency to win that last game of the season against the Patriots. But I would, I think the Patriots are finally going to figure it out and not let that happen. And that's going to be what decides second and third. And it's going to go the Patriots' way once again. But at least that game will mean something and more than just a moral victory for Miami, like it has been for the past five or six years. Unfortunately, they're not going to win it this time, and the Patriots are going to take the take second place and sneak into a wild card. So the only reason I'm going to kind of, well, there's two things I could bring up there. One, you're right. Miami tends to win in Miami. New England tends to win in New England. The That week 17 game is actually in New England. So I think you're right on that. I think the Pats will pull that one out. Um, that being <laughs> said, I'm basing my, my standings here uh, off of kind of how we graded the offseason. The Bills are still, like you guys have said, far and away the best team in this division. That being said, the Jets are still making the right improvements, but they're still that 6-11, 7-10 type team. They're going to come in fourth. Now, when I look at the other two, we have all agreed that they're pretty much interchangeable at this point, but here's the difference. 
Miami actually made moves to improve this offseason. I still don't quite know how I feel about the Patriots offseason as a whole. I think they got maybe a little better, if not stayed the same. With that, I'm going to give you the, the goat Bailey Zappi, dude. No, they drafted the goat, the goat Cole Strange. Well, that was the first, first round. round. The fourth round. This yeah. The fourth they, round they is where the, the Patriots dominate. The sixth round <laughs> actually money, is where the dude. Patriots are the best. Who'd they pick in the sixth round? He's going to be the next best. I think it was position. Pierre Strong, dude. That running back out of South, yeah. Dakota, South Dakota State. South Dakota State. Oh, there we go. He's going to have 2,000 yards this year. Calling it now. That, that being said, uh, looking at how the offseason's played out, again, this is all looking at paper, so I'm basing this off paper. I think the Dolphins are going to pull it out, although I do agree with Doug here. I still think Miami's about a year away from a playoff spot, but if we can put together another winning season, that's going to look really good moving forward. If you can finish second in the division, it will matter. I think it won't matter that you miss the playoffs. Correct. As much as if you finish third in the division and miss playoffs like if you finish third in the division but you're in the playoffs that's okay whatever it is what it is but if you finish second i mean that would make up for missing the playoffs correct that was i felt like i said the same words like 18 times in a row that's okay it probably got a little bit confusing kind of (laughs) but now uh we are heading to our college football conference preview Man, we are very close to the end of this series, actually. Only a couple of conferences left. We're on to some of these big dogs. And this week, we have the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference. And we have a very special guest joining us. Very much looking forward to this conversation with the host of the Jake Botel Football Experience. From all the way down under, Jake Botel. How's it going, guys? Good to be here. It is so good to have you back, dude. It's been like two years since you've been on the show. Missed you. COVID does crazy things. Crazy <laughs> things to the timeline. It it has been about two years since we've named Duckface Beaver Carnage. All thanks to you, man. <laughs> Duckface Beaver Carnage. You have to jog my memory. Can't even remember. Good that was uh, Oregon, 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 Oregon State. State. Rivalry. They can't, uh, yeah, they can't be the Civil War anymore. That's right. That's right, Mike. That's great. Unfortunately, Carnage, uh, yeah. unfortunately, our notes here are throwing some shade at you right off the bat because I see you as anonymous Kiwi, and I know you are not from New Zealand. So, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> that's. That's all right. Um, I, I can bust out a I can bust out a kiwi impression if if need be. You know, go get some fish and chips and all that sort of thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh man! All right, so let's get into the ACC preview. Uh, similar format to what we've been doing in the past. We'll start with the teams, uh, how they did last year. We'll get into some coaching changes. Uh, go through who they lost, who they're bringing in players to watch and how we think this conference will shape up so obviously we probably should start talking about Pitt and wake forest two teams felt like out of nowhere in a down year for the conference maybe uh just showed up at the right time both finished 11 and 3 Pitt, of course taking that championship though uh were you guys as impressed with wake forest as i was though i mean what a job dave colossus is doing 
yeah pretty crazy um you know get old stay old and all that down there i think they i've heard it called the incubator you know they they bring everyone in they red shirt for a year and then on we go get old stay old and um that mesh point offense they do that slow mesh wigs me out every time i watch it it's just like just rip right. it out throw the damn thing right. or hand it off um but yeah they like they did impress me they they impressed me with their ability to um to survive what was a pretty wretched defense too really all things considered this is this is a team that's Very been true. building for a couple of years now too though i mean it was it was two years ago i believe they were in a bowl game against memphis and things did not go Memphis's way, but it's not because Memphis couldn't get anything going on their own volition. It's because Wake Forest was able to pretty much demoralize them with the way they were able to work the offense, made a few plays on defense, and there you have it. They've been able to build since then. This is a team I I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here because, frankly, I don't know what Clemson's going to do. I would definitely keep a very close eye on Wake Forest, more so than any other team in this entire conference, frankly. Well, it's fair that you bring up Clemson because Wake Forest will have to challenge them for that division still. We still have divisions this year at least before they get rid of them for 2023 and beyond. So Clemson, uh, NC State, and on that side of the ACC as well, Boston College really fell off due to injuries, but now everybody back healthy. They might be challenging for that division here as well. This is going to be a very very competitive Atlantic side of the conference. Uh, Wake Forest has its work cut out for them. Yeah, and I, I just had a look at those sort of the numbers um, on on the day. There might be a bit of um, Northern Southern Hemisphere delay going on here. Sorry, lads. Um, the numbers for Wake Forest def defense last season, you know, like points against, they were, I think, bottom five or six rushing yards allowed the only teams to allow more rushing yards last year were duke and virginia um so it's going to be really interesting to see if they've fixed that sort of thing up like i thought they got beat up in the trenches a bit um speaking of big dudes in the trenches in the run game last year like teams were able to smash mouth them Tug, were you about to say something? I was waiting for No, I was waiting. No. I was adjusting okay. myself and everyone thought I was gonna say something. My bad. Well, yeah, that, that ruined it. That ruined the moment. <laughs> You're sitting up straight here. <laughs> <laughs> so the coastal side, of course, they have Pittsburgh still uh without Kenny Pickett. It's gonna be a big change. Uh, but other than that, they really had a bunch of teams that underperformed. North Carolina, Miami, Virginia, and Virginia Tech all kind of fell short of expectations. This, of course, led to a lot of first-year head coaches in the Coastal Division now. Um, we're looking at, actually, Duke, Miami, uh, Virginia, and Virginia Tech all have first-year head coaches coming into this season. It's, this is going to be interesting. I was going to say the coastal is going to be a very different, different side of this, this conference this year. Cause you don't know what to expect. Uh, I can tell you my favorite coaching hire out of here is Mario Cristobal. I love what he's doing with the program. I mean, you saw it immediately in recruiting and we'll get to that later, but 
this could go a ton of different ways. And then Tony Elliott has the success under his belt from Clemson. So, you know, he can run an offense. I've, I've got a bone to pick with, uh, with Cristobal though. Do you see they're getting rid of the Cuban link, the turnover chain? Yeah. We talked Tug about loves it last that. Tug what loves the it. hell? No. So I it's not that it. I, I, I love the I love the turnover chain, but at the same time, he's trying to rebuild the program and rebuild the, uh, rebuild the culture. And to do that, you need to get rid of that one thing. Like Doug said last week, that's pretty much the only thing people have talked about with Miami for years. Now he wants them to talk about something else. So the best way to do that is to get rid of the chain. And I'll say it too. I I don't even think it's so much that it's when you have something like that, you see it with all these teams because Miami absolutely was the first guilty of this. Memphis has been guilty of this. I think they got rid of their belt and turnover robe and all that shit. A lot of these teams are doing it because the players start going for the big play versus actually playing their position. Yep. So I hate it. I get it, but I still fucking hate it. (laughs) (laughs) I was pretty impressed with the fact that like he was hired in December, uh, you know, from, uh, from Oregon over to Miami. Like we've seen, and I guess, it depends, you know, coach to coach, team to team, but you, you can see how those classes can fall apart sometimes if a coach comes in relatively late. Like he's had a few months to sort of keep what they had already recruited together and make additions. Um, I think like it's a massive hire and not just for like this division, because obviously we're just going over to a league next year, essentially. I think it's huge. Like I think it could be landscape shifting because who you know you've got you've had clemson recruiting at this national championship level now you've got someone else who's an absolute maniac in that part of the game so i i think it's it's a massive hire and it's a massive year too for, for this conference and and sort of the power balance in my opinion yeah i feel like this was the best possible way to get miami back to relevancy so you know, Mario Cristobal is a great hire. The other guys we didn't talk about yet, Mike Elko coming to Duke, former defensive coordinator for Texas A&M. Interesting move here. I honestly didn't know much about Mike Elko until he was announced. Uh, but that <laughs> David Cutcliffe retiring, and what are you going to do? Duke is a very unique situation. You have to find somebody that fits that program more than you have to find somebody who's a great coach, honestly. The Vaughn and only, we got a comment here from Twitch. Do you foresee Virginia and Virginia Tech playing for the toilet bowl in the conference? I got to say, man, both teams have first-year head coaches. Neither team did anything too inspiring last year. I'm looking through this. I don't see any teams that are are going to be more desperate this year or worse this year. I guess they're in the same division, so we can't have a legitimate toilet bowl between the two, but they I think they will be at the bottom of what? The coastal division here. I don't uh, know. Duke's probably gonna be pretty bad. <laughs> Duke's always bad. Do they count? Thank you for the comment there, Vaughn and only. I, I, we do appreciate they it. They technically count. <laughs> do, do, uh, the do other you think new Virginia... head coach. Oh sorry. Oh you sorry. go ahead. All for it. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like with Virginia, you know. Um, as much as the defense like sucked last year, they do have 
in a in a conference that's got pretty decent quarterback play, like they do have one of the more exciting quarterbacks, it, it's almost hard for me to see them circling the toilet bowl too much when you've got a playmaker like Brendan Armstrong, assuming he stays healthy. Like, um, you know, that's the, true. The, that quarterback talent matters, you know, a lot when it comes to, hey, grabbing a few wins that you might not otherwise be expected to do. That's true, and that is the reason they finished 500 and not 0-12. But at the same time, that defense yeah. is brutal. So, <laughs> I, Armstrong, I do agree with you. He is pretty good. I will add on here, too, and adding on Tony Elliott to help Brandon Armstrong out is going to do wonders for that offense, too. Again, does nothing for right. the defense problem, which is absolutely a liability <laughs> out there. Like Ryan Gosling playing corner. Um, but still, like... Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, the other head coach we haven't talked about because literally nobody's talking about him because who the hell is this guy? Uh, Brent Pry coming to Virginia Tech, former defensive coordinator at Penn State. Um, as much as I maybe had heard of Mike Elko before, I've literally <laughs> never heard of Brent Pry in my life. And he was a defensive coordinator in my conference. So <laughs> what does that, that say about Brent was... Pry? That defense was pretty good, though. I, it was I will say not that. Bad. It was not bad. I will say that. <laughs> Brent Pry has is in a better position than Tony Elliott, though. Tony Elliott replacing the legend Brocko Mendenhall. Brett Pry replacing the guy that replaced the legend at Virginia Tech, who got ran out on a rail. So he's in a great spot here. Uh, but, man, both these guys have a lot of work to do uh, to get these programs back to any sort of relevance or reverence that I think they deserve. Um, Brent Pry too has previously been at Virginia Tech way, 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 way back in the mid to late 90s. He was a grad assistant um, under Bud Foster when they went to three bowl games in that period. So I suppose a little bit of a connection there from the start of his career, whether there was still connections there with people around the school. Don't know. And I I think that is why he was brought on because everything was so bad and soured so much with Justin Puente, man, people wanted him out of there. I think they wanted to bring in somebody who could kind of ease people back into, Hey, we're going to have a good program here. We're going to be able to do some good things here. Breathe for a minute. We've got a guy that loves this program the way you do. It means something to him the way it means something to you. We're going to get this back on the right track. And there's a couple of coaches that are on hot seats so that if they don't get their programs on the right track might be on that unemployment line, like Justin Puente. Speaking of hot seats, thank you for the transition bug. Uh, You're welcome. I really see a couple of head coaches here who better watch out. Uh, of course, Georgia tech has been pretty bad lately. Uh, Jeff Collins is trying to take them off of the triple option, more of a pro style offense. They have not been winning games with it. So three and nine last year, nine and twenty-five overall. I have Georgia the Georgia Tech. If they want to keep the triple option, and they fire Jeff Collins, I have the perfect hire for them. I'll find why, his contact information for you. Why you keep trying to get rid of wanting the winningest, the winningest <laughs> coach in coach. program's history? I don't know. Um, of course, uh, Syracuse has taken quite the tumble. 
Dino Babbers was at one point considered one of the probably the hottest head coaching names in the country uh, and then started losing a lot. So he's 29 and 43 overall um, and not looking as good as he once was. Um, I actually remember back when uh, Ohio got Urban Meyer, there was a lot of speculation of if Urban Meyer doesn't happen, because that was all the rumor, who could we possibly target to be the next head coach of Ohio State? And Dino's name came up because of how good of a job he was doing at Syracuse. And that is not the case anymore. <laughs> wow. Wow. This yeah. last one, yeah. this last one we've got on the hot seat list. I'll I'll throw this in here because I'm the one that added it. It's Mike Norvell. And obviously he came from Memphis. Memphis fans are like scorned ex-girlfriends. They will talk about their ex forever <laughs> and post like all right the, now. Exactly. Post all the bad things that's going on with them. FSU fans are pissed. The five and seven season did not quell their anger. They're eight and thirteen since Norville got there, and missed a bowl game for the first time in what twenty something years. I mean, that's, that's no kind of FSU. Brutal. FSU had missed a couple bowl games before that. That was the coaches leading up to Mike Norvell. I mean, but, fair enough. But, I don't think they've been to a bowl game since Bobby Bowden, actually. It was under Willie Taggart they started to take that tumble. I don't know if I believe that. But anyway, um, I don't think they got <laughs> below six wins in that time. It was just not up to program standards. But yeah, it, it was it was bad regardless. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, what do you think about Georgia Tech and uh, getting off the triple option, though, Jake? Um, interesting choice. Like <laughs> the triple option, the triple option essentially is one of those things, isn't it? Where you're saying, we're not going to win a conference. Um, we'd like to go bowling. Like in this day and age, it's kind of a statement of where you're acknowledging your program ceilings at. And so while I think it's kind of, you know, uh, brave and perhaps a bit forward thinking to go, we're going to try and go to a more pro style thing. The reality is that, you know, you can experience, you're, you're foregoing, I guess, the high floor of running something like the triple option um, and exposing yourself um, to a pretty massive drop off if it doesn't work. And it, it doesn't seem like it's worked um, thus far at Georgia Tech, like, uh, you know, within the coastal, who, who who's worse off? Duke? Yeah, Maybe. yes. I... I will say By virtue of being Duke. Basically. Yeah. I, I will <laughs> yeah. say transitioning from the triple option is about a four or five year process because the guys you have to recruit now, it's a totally different play style. What you're looking for for a quarterback isn't isn't the same. What you're looking for out of your running backs, your fullbacks, it's not the same. That's a tough transition to make. Uh and it was so ingrained into Georgia Tech's style of play that just getting away from it is proving to be very difficult. Anytime you transition away from it, you're going to get worse before you get better. Okay, I just have to correct myself here. Turns out Tug was right, and the last time Florida State made a bowl game was under head coach Odell Haggins. That wasn't Bobby Bowden. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I wow. didn't know Odell Haggins existed. That's I got a point against the Dugapedia of college football. That's First all we're counting. First time 
ever and last time ever too. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> Uh, so, of course, ACC is losing some great talent. We saw a couple of big-name guys get taken in the very first round of the NFL draft. Uh, Icky Aquanu, one of the best offensive linemen this conference has ever seen. I'm pretty confident in saying that. Um, I don't know how he'll pan out in the NFL, but, man, in college, he was dominant for a couple of years. And across both lines, everybody's losing quite a bit of talent. Zion Johnson's gone. Jermaine Johnson is gone. Um, Zach Tom, North Carolina lost basically their entire offensive line, it seems like. What do you guys think about how the draft went and what everybody's losing? Nobody wants to be the first to talk. So I'm, I, I'm so amazed uh, Kenny Pickett went as high as he did. Well, fair. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at this and was going to say that I was surprised that I don't think Clemson had a draft pick. Yeah, Clemson didn't have a draft pick in the first round. Um, that, that surprises me. Even Florida state had a draft pick in the first round. Um, that just shows you how rough of a season Clemson had last year. And it's weird to say that considering they still had 10 wins and only three losses, but does that say more about the strength of the ACC opponents that they're up against that Clemson can have (laughs) like, 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 you know, like. I saw a stat the other day about the, the Clemson offense. They were only, they, they were down in terms of like passing explosivity. They were down around like in that 120th region with teams like Northwestern, teams like Syracuse. Um, I think the draft was massive for Clemson because players like Kenny Pickett are gone. You know, like Clemson got better by other teams, you know, losing assets. That's um, you know, can you think... there goes 40 <laughs> touchdowns, you know, the, the offensive player of the year in the ACC, um, he won, he won the other award too, didn't he? He was player of the conference as well. So, and obviously yeah. Jordan Addison, you know, which you'll probably get to in the, you know, transfer thing, like some of your direct opponents in your division got a lot worse. I think the other thing worth pointing out is yes, Clemson had some generational talents coming in. I know, yeah. Doug, or Tug, you've got some flaming hot takes on the issues at Clemson right now. But what I want to point out is they've had not just a string of extremely good quarterbacks. I would say even going back to Taj Boyd, they've had a string of yes. generational wide receivers at Clemson as well. Some obviously being better than others like DeAndre Hopkins. And then look at the backfield too. Travis Etienne, a generational running back for that program, they have a ton of rebuilding to do on that offense. The defense has been able to maintain, obviously, Andrew Booth Jr. being their highest drafted player. And then, again, you the next player they have drafted is in the, the only other player they had drafted, seventh-round linebacker, right? I so, will say, I will say, if he didn't get hurt, Justin Ross was next in line to be that another great receiver for them and right. probably would have been a first-round talent if he didn't get hurt. He was well on his way. Justin Ross, that story is brutal, but he did go undrafted. He is technically on the Chiefs right now. So that's right. cool. So I, but but that's that's my point, right? They they're not just lacking in one area. It's several areas where either they just weren't prepared for it to happen or things did not pan out the way they expected them to. Well, honestly, that's been Clemson's problem this entire dynastic <laughs> era for them, is they're fantastic at recruiting 
one layer of talent. They don't have any depth pretty much anywhere. So and I, it's I been a problem say, for several years. I would say the Taj Boyd years and until Deshaun Watson uh, finally helped them get over the hump, Syracuse was a big problem there. And right. that's why Syracuse was so elevated. That's why uh, Dino Babbers was looking so fantastic because he was the kryptonite to the Clemson Tigers. And now yep. they finally they found their stride <laughs> and lost it last year. I, man, I could I could talk about Clemson for a little bit. I know Doug, you're not the biggest fan of them, but they, they're a very interesting program to look at once you really start getting into things. But but that's also a lot of the things that you highlighted there, Ben, is why I have the takes I have. Doug, you said it. They they're really good at recruiting that one player, and that's it. They have nothing behind him. That yep. that's a lot of what my issue is is. Dabo doesn't really build a team that well. He he can't maintain it. He can't maintain that success. So do I think Dabo is a good coach? Yes. Do I think Dabo is as good as everyone makes him out to be? No. And I think it's going to be worse this year without him having his his coordinators that he's had for how many years at this point? I love this take. So Eons. Much. <laughs> and and don't don't yeah. you think Jump too? On like it, Jake. What do you think? The- the, the the kryptonite, you know, the the Dino Babbers kryptonite. Well, now there's the Kristenite, Cristobal coming in. Like we we there's now hey, this other force, it. and and the thing is, you know, they're good at recruiting one player. And I think what happens when you don't recruit that one player, when you don't get the Deshaun Watson, when you don't get the Trevor Lawrence, how is the rest of your recruiting impacted? And I watched a lot of Clemson last year, and. I didn't particularly get the hype around DJU coming out. Um, I remember seeing him in QB one. I think it was a season of QB one. He was the backup quarterback to um, dude Mitchell. who ended up at Arizona State. That's the one. Real Mitchell. Um, he went and to, even in that, he went to Iowa State, and I don't know where he's at now. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, me, me either. Um, but I'll DJU, Iowa State, tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> He didn't strike me, um, I don't know, as that guy, as that Trevor Lawrence, as that Deshaun Watson. Um, and the problem is, once if, if you don't get that guy, then what happens? And you saw in the, the spring game, Cade Klubnik did not look ready to push DJU. And I know it's a spring game, but I remember watching Trevor Lawrence's spring game and going, holy crap. This guy is ready to shred. Um, and I also think just to finish off, my thoughts with Clemson is like the times they are are changing. You know, transfer portal was one thing that Dabo was always really grumpy about. Now we've got like this full-blown NIL hose that's going on. And I tell you who will use everything at his disposal to recruit teams is the Christonite, Mario Cristobal. So... What happens now? Is da- is Dabo going to evolve or is this going to become Miami's conference? Because I think so, you either you 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 adapt or die. So I got I got two things here. First of all, I'm not convinced the Vaughn only isn't just Tug with a different Twitch account. It's, I promise you it's not. <laughs> because he's he's coming in on Twitch from the top that. rope. Dabo Sweeney equals Mike Gundy and I will not stand for that on my podcast. I my will. I, I will. I love Mike Gundy, but I will not stand for that on this podcast. I I absolutely will. (laughs) And I think you, I think you actually bring up a good point about Miami with 
with the transfer portal. We're going to talk a little bit more about Hard Rock Stadium in this episode. But yeah. that's where Miami is playing their home games. And guess what? That is also an NFL stadium. That is the home of the Miami Dolphins. That is, that's honestly got to start becoming a bigger recruiting tool. And I think Mario Cristobal is smart enough to use that to his advantage. Man, it's uh, I'm surprised they don't have any five stars. There's two teams in this conference who have two apiece. Bro, just talk to Steve yeah. Ross. He'll give you some money to lose some games. <laughs> love it love it uh so yeah you said miami doesn't have any five stars but they actually did finish with the highest average rating for their recruits which is insane uh out of this conference it, yeah chris ball came in with no time at all and pieced together an actually incredible class for what it is only 15 players coming in at the same time it's 15 quality players coming in uh then you have clemson with, of course, Cade Klubnik, as we already talked about. Uh, Jaden Lucas is the other five-star player coming in from South Carolina and going to be that next corner. Clemson always seems to have at least one uh, where they have a good defensive back going. Uh, The other program with five-star players coming in this year is North Carolina. Mac Brown is a hell of a recruiter, the oldest head coach in FBS right now. Uh, But, yeah, bringing in two incredible pieces. Zach Rice, Travis Shaw, offensive lineman, defensive lineman. It's beautiful. Love to see it. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, Actually, Zach Rice, I think, has potential to be one of the best offensive tackles in the country in a couple of years. Uh, We'll see what Travis Shaw can do, but ACC is known for pumping out some defensive linemen, so I wouldn't be too surprised if he turns out to be pretty great as well. I just gotta say, after seeing that last last comment from the Vaughn and only, I think that puts to rest that it's not me. <laughs> but no, I, mean, I or I, you're trying to throw us <laughs> off. You yeah. said, "Is it an NFL stadium or is it the home of the Miami Dolphins?" I think I'm still not convinced. I'm still not convinced. <laughs> I, I do gotta say, I love this North Carolina recruiting class. Again, it kind of builds to what we preach to here. Uh, you build from the trenches out and. When you're bringing in the number one offensive tackle and the number six defensive lineman, that's going to bode well for you in the future. Do, do yeah, you guys think there's biggest... going to be like patience for someone like Mac Brown, like given the exodus of like talent at other positions they've had the last two drafts, like they've lost like three or four NFL wide receivers. They've lost an NFL quarterback, two NFL running backs, like, right. do, do you think he's got sort of all the time in the world to go, all right, I'm going to, we're going to build again. We're going to just keep stacking. Yeah. Make no mistake yeah. about it. North Carolina is forever and always a basketball school first, right? That's, that's just how they're going to be. So the fact that they're now performing well in football and at a high level, I mean, two five-star recruits five years ago, if you'd have told me that North Carolina would have two five-star recruits in the next five years, I wouldn't have believed you. If you would have said they'd get it in the same season, I would have laughed in your face. This is the proof is in the pudding right now of just how much this program has grown and the leaps and strides that they've made in improvement here. I think Mac Brown, I don't want to say he has unlimited time to get the results that boosters want, but I think he's exceeded everybody's expectations at North Carolina. I will say it. I think Mac Brown's unfireable right now. There's no way North Carolina loses him. The biggest recruiting class in this conference belongs to Virginia Tech, uh, interestingly. 
24 recruits in a single class is kind of a lot. Um, SEC teams do it all the time, but that's because they play by different rules than everybody else. <laughs> so is what it is. <laughs> doesn't match up to um, Air Force's recruiting class, though. Exactly, exactly. Uh, surprisingly, and directly counter to Jake's point uh, before we hopped on the show, uh, the two best teams in this conference last year, Wake Forest and Pitt, finished the bottom two in recruiting this season. Um, <laughs> On-field results do not always translate into recruiting. Do you, do you think that that, though, you know, speaks to the difference in approach in terms of I, I would regard Wake Forest and Pitt as definitely not teams I would regard as putting a high priority on recruiting. And it's more about building that team. Like we talked about with Wake Forest, you know, we're going to build them. We're going to get old, stay old. Um, you know, it, it's really is about that sort of team culture, our kind of guys. I think Pitt last year rode like a hell of a season from, you know, an NFL first round draft pick. Now I don't think Pickett was an NFL first round draft pick, but that's where he went. But Jordan Addison as well. Like I'm really fascinated to see because I still think too, that Clemson can win this division. Like despite yeah. all I've said about them, I think Pitt, Pitt went from averaging 42 points a game last season and conceding, I think, you know, 24, like what's the drop off there? You're not going to average 40 plus points a game, you know, without Jordan Addison, without Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Um, I'm really fascinated to see NC state obviously is another sort of contender, but you know, Clemson can win this division, but, but that might be damning with faint praise. Um, because of what some of the other contenders have lost, but no, you're, and you're absolutely right. Like different teams. I, I think the teams that recruit hard are the ones that have those national relevance ambitions. I think that's why you hire Mario Cristobal to Miami because Miami wants to be nationally yeah. relevant. D does Wake Forest want to be nationally relevant? Does Pitt want to be nationally relevant? It'd be I don't cool. know. It's not their goal. It would be great, but yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's not that yeah. goal like it is for Clemson. Yeah, no, that's a perfect point. Uh, let's get off of recruiting classes here and talk about some big-time transfers. Of course, there are all sorts of players moving in and out of the conference, but let's try to limit ourselves to you know, five or so of the biggest names here. Uh, Pitt has a new quarterback, obviously. Kenny Pickett went in the first round. Uh, underrated loss, by the way. Cal Adamitis, the long snapper. That's going to be brutal. How's right. Pitt going to replace him? Uh, really? <laughs> uh, no, they have a new quarterback uh, coming in from USC, Keaton Slovis. Hey, maybe he can actually put together a decent season this year. Uh, that would be a first, but also last year was Kenny Pickett's first, so we'll see. <laughs> um. Other quarterback coming in, Grant Wells coming into Virginia Tech from Marshall. I thought he was fantastic at Marshall last year and very much looking forward to see what he can do in a Power 5 school. Wait a minute. How many how many scholarships do you get per season? Um, You get 85 total. In the uh, SAC the or everywhere on else? How many per year? 
<laughs> rules on per year limits are kind of fuzzy anymore. Okay, I was gonna. I was gonna say because it should have been twenty five, right? Yeah, technically, but and I don't think anybody's really held to that anymore. I was gonna say this would make twenty six and twenty seven, or twenty five, yeah. twenty six. <laughs> well, you got to think too. Uh, there are kids that get cycled out every year, so oh, they're at twenty five because uh... they lost Tavion Robinson. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I did not mean to derail you. The one and only we see your comment here. We will get to that conversation here in a little bit. We got a couple more things before we get to records predictions. We'll definitely address that when we get to that point. Good call out. Uh, A couple of big defensive players coming into the conference as well. Uh, Cameron Butler coming in from Miami of Ohio. Looking forward to him playing on the defensive end for Virginia. Uh, Also have a defensive end from Albany. Coming into Florida State, Jared Verse. Now, why am I highlighting an FCS player? <coughs> uh, um, Jared Verse is fantastic. Legitimately, FCS All-American a couple of years now, coming into Florida State. Uh, looking forward to seeing him play. This is similar to what we were talking about with the Big 12. You know, Jackson player coming in. Uh, Jared Verse is going to come in and just light up the league. This is a surefire edge prospect absolutely can't wait to see him play are they hoping he's going to have you know the jermaine johnson impact transfer defensive end year one lights it up i'm sure i'm sure that's what they're hoping for obviously we'll coming what happens you know <laughs> yeah right. mike norvell high expectations and toes yeah <laughs> Uh, of course, a couple of big losses as well in the transfer portal. Uh, none bigger than Jordan Addison. Uh, but right up there, Jameer Gibbs going to Alabama. Uh, Georgia Tech lost their best player um, and really the only bright spot of that offense last year. So, hate to see, hate to see that. <laughs> that's a tough loss, especially as you're trying to move into that more pro-style offense, and that's a more pro-style running back. So that's that's a tough loss all the way around. Yeah, and then I know we've already talked about Jordan Edison quite a bit, uh, but what he's going to do with that USC team is scary to think about. I don't like USC. That USC offense is going to be <laughs> a different animal this year with Lincoln Riley. Uh, it better be. It better be a different animal this year. <laughs> Caleb Williams. Is that Thank you. I hundred percent blank. His wide receiver I saw it. it. <laughs> um, but that's some of the transfers coming in and out. Let's go ahead and talk about players to watch in this conference. Uh, again, uh, good players on every team. Literally, if you find a team in college football, you can find somebody worth watching. But there are some guys that stand out among the rest. Let's talk about some of those guys. Uh, Will Shipley for Clemson. Great running back. Right up there with Travis Etienne. I know you called him a generational running back for them. Etienne, that is. Bug. Uh, but Will Shipley is just as good right now so far. We'll see if he can keep that up. I mean, that would be huge, especially considering the uncertainty at the quarterback position for the Tigers. Absolutely. And then we have um, a couple of receivers I'm looking forward to watching again. A.T. Perry for Wake Forest. Uh, 
really fun player. And of course, Sam Hartman throwing in the ball. Yep. That's a very fun combination. Uh, Dontavion Wicks is underrated at Virginia. And again, like we talked about before, Brennan Armstrong makes that offense look good. Uh, Dontavian Wicks is part of that reason why, though. Got to admit, um, I tried to find somebody to talk about for Syracuse, and you know, Sean Tucker is not bad. Let's go, with Sean Tucker, running back for Syracuse. <laughs> you, you, who has about a paragraph to say about everybody, and we get he's not bad. He that tells bad. me. That tells me about everything I need to know. Uh, I'm telling you, don't watch Syracuse <laughs> games this year. <laughs> hey, we finally got you to admit that we shouldn't watch back 12 games this year. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> fair. Um, one player I'm interested to watch uh, in Miami is the new quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, I say new quarterback. I know he has certainly played for them already a little bit, but it still feels new to me because I was so much looking forward to the Derek King uh, era. <laughs> Again. That almost never really materialized. Uh, but Tyler Van Dyke has already proven to be pretty great for them. If Cristobal can, I know he's more of a defensive guy, but the offenses he was running at Oregon were nothing to scoff at. Um, if Tyler Van Dyke can run that style of offense for Miami. I think once again, Jake, you're probably right on the head with this Miami team might be worth talking about. Just don't handcuff Tyler Van Dyke. Like you spent four years handcuffing Justin Herbert. That's (laughs) true. That's my one. That's the one thing that I want to say because, and like, that was brutal when you said what you, I, I actually wonder whether, Cristobal has learned any sort of lesson, you know, having had a guy in the building for three, four years, whatever it was that Herbert was a starter. And then he goes into the NFL and like launches to like top five, six quarterback. Do you now kind of, you know, um, throw the chips in a little bit more and, and, and go for broke. If you have a guy like Tyler Van Dyke, like he, I watched the spring game for them and he was exciting, big, strong armed, they ran the ball a lot in that spring game, like a lot, a lot. Um, they were feeding yeah. all their running backs. It is a spring game, but then again, you know, I, it is interesting to look at how they, they do those things. I think Tyler Van Dyke is exciting, but I'm interested to see if he, if he uh, you know, lets him take the Ferrari out of the garage sort of thing. Um, unlike he uh, with um, Justin Herbert, just a rando little note on Wake Forest um, from their spring game. Horatio Fields, uh, a three-star wide receiver. I think he was from the 2021 class. So I assume he wouldn't have played last year with their whole red shirt policy. But he had an absolutely beautiful catch um, in that spring game, like eye-poppingly good, like up in the air, twisting, contorting his body to get around and grab the ball. Like, it was nice. And I know it's spring game, but I'm just throwing it out there as a little like, hey, this is a name that just popped off the screen when I was watching. Just see if he can I, do it when it actually matters. I remember that name because it's hard to forget a name like Horatio when he's actually good at football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, one guy that we didn't talk about yet uh, and definitely the most exciting part of Louisville football is Malik Cunningham. 
it he does everything. So if he could play defense for them, he would figure it out and probably do better than anybody else they have. So uh, if yeah. if you're going to watch a Louisville game, keep your eye on Malik Cunningham too. I know you have Absolutely. a lot of thoughts about Louisville. You want to dive into a little bit of that, or do you, do you want do you want me to get go on my Louisville like binge, like my my rant? I will. Let's do it. If you got time, you got let's do it. Let's five do minutes, it. Four minutes, four minute rant about the cards. All right, all right. So, um, I'm really excited about Louisville because of what they're looking to do in 2023. Like, there's an historic class potential like with what they're already putting together they've got um i think i said it was a five-star running back a four-star qb a four-star offensive lineman um that they just got four-star um so the five-star running back four-star corner the point being it's like insane what they're putting together um it would it would shatter all sorts of you know louisville recruiting records if they can keep it together and if they can build on it i think they're the number 17 class at the moment so i guess the reason i'm interested to see is and i can't remember if it was in the COVID year or if it was last year but there was that weirdness with scott satterfield where he was kind of really honest i think it was the south carolina job was it where he said yeah. he had taken an interview or whatever and there's a lot of sort of oh the fan base wasn't real happy about that. Is this guy really committed to Louisville football, etc.? Um, so I'm interested to see what 2022 looks like for them. They're such a fun team to watch. Like you said, with Malik Cunningham, about 20 touchdowns on the ground, was it, last year? Um, you know, absolute fun machine. If you can put together a really decent season, you know, with what you're already reeling in so early on in the process, this team could be really exciting come 2023, particularly if you're saying, hey, there could be a power vacuum here. You know, and I'm not, like I said, Clemson, I don't like predicting big teams' demises because, you know, they got where they are for a reason. But at the same time, there's not a lot of powerhouse sides in the ACC and so if you figured out a way to get on a on a recruiting hot streak however you're doing it I think that's really exciting for a program like Louisville you that's like my rant. To talk to I, I, yeah no I was thinking and then I, I had something okay. and it's it's gone it's all just right. gone <laughs> all right well <laughs> I won't wait on you any longer uh, we're moving yeah, on to the defensive side of the ball uh, <laughs> As a as, as an alumni of the University of Louisville, I hope that the football team can be decent, but I do not have as much faith in them as you. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just excitement. I love crazy storylines yeah. in college football. You know, like if Fair. Louisville Fair suddenly enough. put together a crazy class and were good, that'd be fun. <laughs> so on the defensive side of the ball in this conference, uh, I know I have a bunch of different positions highlighted here, but honestly, the best position group across this conference is the defensive line and let's not beat around the bush uh brian Brees at clemson um habakkuk baldonado at pitt uh miles murphy north carolina robert cooper at florida state these are beasts on that defensive line and i don't know anybody in the secondary who's going to compete as far as pure talent is concerned with these defensive tackles in this conference I 
I would usually say that the running backs are not that good in this conference, but they don't have a chance to be. It's crazy to see how some of these guys are able to perform at the next level when they're not facing three, four deep of just great defensive tackles week in, week out. I mean, this North Carolina defensive line is shaping up to be something truly special, even this year. And they have that freshman five-star coming in for the future as well, right? This is this is the class of the ACC, is yeah. the, the defensive lines. Uh, do you guys have anything to add with that? I just need to know how to pronounce Baldonado's first name. Habakkuk. Okay. I was, that's what I thought. I was just like, that's another it's one for the all-name You're Catholic. Come on. It, it's one for the all-name team. Unreal. Unreal. Come on. I guess that's why I didn't know it. Oh, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, well, let's go ahead and jump into our predictions for this conference. All right. Uh, before we, we win the I was going to say, before we get in there, the Vaughn and only had one more question for us on this. Yep. He's asking if anybody in the ACC could realistically make the college football playoff. Um, yes, I would say. Um, if Clemson gets good. But we'll see. <laughs> I I was going to say this. When, when you're looking at it, um, looking at this entire conference right now, um, we're looking at the college football playoff. The way I see it is you've got at least one SEC school, maybe two. And you've got one Big Ten school, probably this year, uh, just to foreshadow next week for me, probably Ohio State. So you're looking Alabama, Ohio State, as far as I'm concerned. You've got two spots open. Georgia probably still leaning a heavy three. Um, yep. But I don't. I don't know. That fourth spot to me is wide open. I can't see anybody out of the Pac-12 taking it this year. Maybe USC goes on a tear with that new offense under Lincoln Riley. I definitely don't see the Big 12 competing. So if you're looking at just based on what's available, yeah, somebody, the conference champion of the ACC, if they put the if they put the right schedule together and the right wins together. I think so. I don't think this is as cut and dry as it has been in years past with the with the college football playoff. I mean, wait, it's total disrespect there to the mighty Utah Utes, obviously. You know, <laughs> like we're going to just go un- undefeated in the Pac-12. Um, yeah, I-, I think a team can make it. Um, it's kind of like you look at those, the SEC and Big Ten, it's kind of like two and a half spots are filled. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So there's sort of a one and a half, you know, availability there um, for everyone else to sort of compete for. I think Oklahoma might have upgraded, sorry, um, what they're going to do. I think they're going to be tougher. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to be really interested to follow that journey. But yeah, ACC, I think teams can um, and I suppose part of that will probably figure a little bit into my prediction. Yeah, Talk. if anybody does, it would have to be the conference championship, uh, conference champion, you would assume, right? So let's go mm-hmm. ahead and jump into who do we think is going to win the Atlantic? Who do we think is going to win the Coastal? Um, I would say, unfortunately uh, for me, Clemson's probably still going to win the Atlantic Division. You're predicting the comeback. I don't know if everybody agrees with me, but uh, 
yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know who else really has the talent to compete with them on a week-to-week basis. Now, that's not to say that they won't lose a game or two, but as far as overall talent, Clemson's probably still better than anybody else in that division. Well, the question, too, is, like, they had some of the worst quarterback play in the entire country last year. Yeah. So you go, if they can even get to average, but the defense didn't look like it's taken a step back. They were absolutely flying around, slaughtering each other in the spring game, um, which, you know, haven't missed a beat since last year. So if DJU can even be average, I mean, he was like nine touchdowns, 10 interceptions last year. Yeah something like that like so if they can get to average then yeah yeah of course yeah clemson can definitely i think i'm going to take clemson for the for the um atlantic for me i'll take clemson as well honestly and it's because we saw dj play well against notre dame two years ago he's got the talent it's there i don't know what the issue was last year i do think he was struggling uh, missing a lot of the weapons that he had had previously and that had been at Clemson previously. I think we're starting to see that kind of turn around a little bit. And because of that, I do think Clemson will win the Atlantic. Kind of, again, to Doug's point, Pitt was the only one that really had all the talent to challenge them, and they were in the Coastal anyway. You look across the rest of this division, who's going to do it? Wake Forest, maybe. I know we sang their praises earlier, me specifically. Can they do it on a week-to-week basis? Or are they going to be able to do it all season? Well, like like Jake said, I mean, that defense was really bad still. It was just the offense. It was just exactly. ended up out-boat racing people. So <laughs> what do you think, Tug? I'm going a different direction here, and, and this isn't just Clemson hate. This is me looking at the entire team build. Um, I like what NC State's bringing back. Yeah, they lost some big names out of out of a, uh, namely uh, Ikema Kwanu. Um but I like the build they have. I think they're a more complete team right now. I have a little more trust in them in the way, the way they're going to come back this year. And, and yeah, I I'm sorry. I have some serious issues with DJ Uyunglele. Uh, I just, I, I can't get over him. I don't, I don't trust him back there. And you're right, Ben, he had a couple good games when he was the backup and came in in, in relief support. I'm still a firm believer that when you're a different play style quarterback, you come in for one or two games, you, you you look really good. I mean, we've seen it with backup quarterbacks in the NFL how many times because the team doesn't know who to prepare for. So now that he is the name starter, or at least was, they prepared for him better, and he he couldn't match up to it. So I think the defenses out there in the ACC have him figured out, and I don't think it's going to be as just as easy as just throw less interceptions. Um, so I'm going to go with NC State. I have a little more faith in them this year. I know that's, that's a hit and miss take for me, and I, I'm – fully aware of that either they're going to hit every week or they're going to hit or they're not that's just how nc state plays but i like their team build all the way around i mean i do have to say devin leary might be the best quarterback in the conference this year so you have a shot uh the coastal division is i think most people agree more up in the air than the atlantic and the atlantic itself is up in the air too uh so (laughs) anything could happen here I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to say Miami wins. Why not? Chris Ball's first season there. Let's see Miami do something for once in a long time. That'd be cool, I guess. What do you Bring guys think? You, baby. 
I mean, I've, I've, I've got the U coming back in the Coastal, too. Uh, they piece together a really good class. They have a bunch of returning guys. I like the way that team's building, and they finally have a competent coach. I'm going to take the U out of the Coastal. You want to talk about team building? Got to be UNC, right? I mean, we talked about them a lot uh, in the recruiting portion of this preview here. They've turned a corner. They've been turning this corner for a couple of years now. I think it's all going to come together for them. They're going to get the Coastal Division win this year. Gave you some extra time to prepare there, Jake. What do you got? Um, I am going with the 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 Texas of the ACC, um, but I think they're going to do better than the real Texas. I, I think Miami. Um, I, I actually think should be considered like a little bit of a disaster if you don't do this. You're in the, if you don't, I mean, if you don't finish top two in this division, um, because with everything that Pitt lost and, you know, their coach was talking about, we got to get back to running the football. Great. Well, throwing the football actually like got you, you know, into a, you know, really good position last year. So I'm a bit worried. They're just going to go back to like, Let's get into a bunch of rock fights. Um, and unlike maybe Miami teams of the past, I think this Miami team under Cristobal is going to be more than up for a good rock fight or two. Uh, I think they are going to be tougher. They are talented. Uh, and you're in a, the conference with four first-year head coaches. Yep. I, I think it's a, it's a disaster if they don't finish top two and they should be expecting to to compete for that number one spot. In, in the coastal in Cristobal year one for me. And then your championship game then would be Clemson, Miami. Who do you think is going to win that? Um, <laughs> I'm going to say, let's do it. Let's, let's fun narrative. Let's poke the Clemson f- fans. Let's say the Krista Knight lands a big blow year one. The U. Cristobal All right. is here. I Let's do it. Don't believe that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pick. I actually something. have the same know. championship really game as you. One. I would say Clemson, Miami. Yeah. I'm taking Clemson on that all day. <laughs> yeah, their defense is yeah, but it's. I'm just gonna go with a fun know. take. I respect it. I'm gonna take Miami over <laughs> NC State. Ooh, ooh, all right. Down yeah, I'm going to be boring. Nice. And Doug, you're going to be right here with me. We're both taking Clemson, man. It's Yeah. They even after last year, they're still the class of this entire conference with good reason. And I still think it's if they have another off year, maybe I'll be able to easily say that yeah, UNC is the class of this division and they should be the favorite or if Miami runs away with it this year, they'll be the class of the, of the conference and be everybody's favorite for a few years to come. I just don't see that happening right now. And yeah, I think Clemson's going to win this, win this conference. I'm going to say Clemson can get into the playoff undefeated or, or one loss. They're probably in the playoff. I mean, as a conference champion, yeah, everybody respects Clemson. My hot take here is if Miami wins the ACC, even with two losses, ESPN's going to find a way to push them into the playoff. 
because it's the U <laughs> and because they would get that money. I, I think Miami has more leeway with losing some games than anybody else in this conference I, if I they want to. don't think you're entirely wrong, except for the extreme hate they've had for two lost teams in the past. I mean... Here's, their, here's the games, though. This is what they can do. They've got at Texas A&M in week three. So there you go. You get that SEC bump for going into, you know, uh, Texas A&M and losing. So that's okay. But the, I actually just realized they actually go to Clemson during the season. That's their cross division nice. game. So that would be so fun. amazing if they lose at Clemson, come back in the championship game and beat them. All right. And now I'm on the Jake Botel train. Miami's winning this conference. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Going all in. I think it's <laughs> locking it in. Bet right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that is it for our ACC preview. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Jake. It was really a good conversation about all these different teams. Uh, but before you go, before you go, we are in the middle of another bracket time here, and you might want to be a part of it. Awesome. Because it absolutely. It is bracket with your votes on our Twitter polls. Let's let see hear how today's bracket unfolds. Great being what here in person, not just listening in the car. We're so inspired <laughs> by you. That hasn't happened oh, since last bracket time. We are counting down the best of the FBS stadiums. Now, it is uh, the Power 5 plus 5, essentially. Uh, every Power 5 team, we're including Notre Dame, Cincinnati, BYU, Houston and UCF though, because they're about to be power five. And by the time we get to the group of five, they'll be already in the power five. So makes sense. And it gives us a very nice 69 teams to be talking about. Uh, we are down to our second round already. Just getting started here. Thank you so much for your votes on our social media polls. And we had a great turnout this week, uh, which makes it all the better and some great conversations, very tight voting results. So Let's get started here. First matchup of the day. We have LSU versus Baylor. This is Tiger Stadium versus McLean Stadium. Uh, social media did go with LSU, but we'll kick it off to Jake to start us off, man. Which stadium do you prefer? Go Tigers. Fair enough. <laughs> gotta be, gotta be L. I mean, I voted in your poll. It's gotta be LSU. This is, this is not just a question of stadiums. This is a moral and ethical question. I mean, Ooh. admittedly, it's not two great options from a moral and ethical standpoint. But I gotta lean LSU if I'm gonna go LSU Baylor. I mean, ethical. <laughs> you're talking about a live tiger at at uh, Tiger Stadium, which I love. But I know there's a lot of people. Go Tigers. Yeah, I, I have a hard time going with Baylor as well, but McLean Stadium is very beautiful to drive by. I, I will give them that. It, it's beautiful to drive by, but LSU is a – Tiger Stadium is a classic stadium. Uh, I think – I mean, this one – for some reason, I keep thinking there's two two Death Valleys. I know LSU's Tiger Stadium is one of them. Yeah, Clemson's um, the other one. Clemson's the other. Yeah. yeah. I, anything They're nicknamed, both Tigers, Death, too. Yeah. Yeah, anything nicknamed Brutal. Death Valley is going to get a pass in the first round for me. 
Fair enough. Uh, next matchup of the day, we do have Hard Rock Stadium. We were just talking about it before uh, for the University of Miami up against the University of Illinois Memorial Stadium. Another very unoriginal name here, Memorial Stadium. Uh, but social media did go with Champaign, Illinois. Uh, kick it over to Bug to start us off with this one. What do you got? Yeah, so I've actually been to Memorial Stadium, which is odd for this bracket for any of us to have been to any of these stadiums, aside from the shoe, obviously, and Louisville, too. Hey. Yep. Uh, I actually enjoy a lot of things about Memorial Stadium. One of the things that's kind of weird is how elevated one of the uh, – or really both end zone stands are. Uh, but my favorite tradition – that is still going on. There are some others that have, have gone by the wayside. Uh, my favorite one that is still going on is the sign. Uh, what they call it when I looked it up? I'm trying to find it here. Sign gimmicks, sign tricks. The student section sitting in one of those uh, end zones there. They all get up. Actually, this overhead picture, It's that's the student section. You see it uh, better in the bottom picture. They hold the signs up, and it goes through a bunch of different scenes. It's one of the cooler things I've ever seen at a college football game uh, and got me excited to go to college football games at Memphis, where, unfortunately, none of that exists. For as bad as Illinois has been for several years, they always pull out that stadium. And, yeah, I I love that they won on social media because there was no way I was going to go for Hard Rock Stadium. I don't know which way I'm going to vote here, but I will say that while it's a shared stadium, when they designed Hard Rock Stadium, they did so in such a way, um, this is just a cool feature of the stadium's architecture now, that as the sun kind of comes up and, and goes down, uh, with it facing north, uh, yeah, north-south, I don't know why words are hard, um, the sun actually starts setting in the away players' eyes on the sidelines, which just makes it all the more brutal. I'm torn on this one because I want to knock Hard Rock for being a – NFL stadium and a college stadium. And that's what I historically have done. But at the same time, I also want to hit Illinois for being completely uh, standard and basic by naming it Memorial stadium. Um, I have no idea which way I'm going on this one. So it's all up to you, Jake. What do you got? This is a tough one. Um, University of my, the hard rock stadium looks like, you know, one of those trendy glass, um, coffee tables people have, like they stack their books on. It does. You know, that that's what it looks like to me. And then you're going with a university who's the best logo they could come up with was just an eye. And then you just call it Memorial stadium. Um, but you know what? I'm going to give the nod to university of Illinois. They don't have a lot. Let's give them this, you know, that's, that's. I'm feeling generous, you know. I I, I will I say logic. I will say the block letters is a Big Ten thing, and nobody understands it. They were also forced to change, including their logo, me. But that is that is a very different discussion. We're not going to get into here. <laughs> okay. I think the best okay. thing about Hard Rock Stadium is that it makes for a great centerpiece for an F1 track. If you saw the Miami Grand Prix. You'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, but Memorial Stadium is moving on here in this bracket. Um, next matchup of the day is University of Florida versus University of Colorado. We're talking Ben Hill Griffin Stadium versus Folsom Field. Now, social media did go with the University of Florida. Very, very tight matchup. Uh, but turn it over to our esteemed 
members of the panel here. I guess, uh, Tug, you haven't started first yet, so why don't you go for this one? So I will say, I do appreciate that Florida is going out there, and the name, the full name of the field in the stadium is Steve Spurrier Florida Field at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. I love that they're shouting out some of their major players of all time. But that being said, uh, this is the first round. I'm basing a lot of this off looks right now. I'm not really getting to the into into the traditions or anything like that. Um, I really don't <coughs> like the look of Colorado at all. Uh, it, I don't know. It just something about it doesn't sit well with me. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with Ben Hill on this one. It's a classic state. Again, it's a classic stadium. You can't hear yourself think out there. Yeah. It's going to be Ben Hill Griffin. Me next. I think, uh, because I don't, I don't feel right bringing something like this up in later rounds, but I remember in the old NCAA games, uh, where they had, the crowd intensity and toughest places to play. And it mattered in the game. Yep. Uh, yeah. It was always the swamp. It was always Ben Hill Griffin stadium was number one, toughest to play. I mean, it, it's pretty easy for me to move them on over Folsom field. Ralphie, the Buffalo is awesome. And that backdrop is beautiful, but that ain't enough to beat this stadium. Tough one, tough one. Cause I, I think I voted for Colorado Folsom field on the social media, but then I realized my boy, Billy Napier at Florida, um, yeah, look, I'll just stick with what I did on social media. Cause I like the mountains. Um, is there a landscape behind one of the field goals? I feel like I remember watching someone kick a field goal into like some shrubbery and sort of like desert landscape in the stadium, but I could be I don't totally know if that wrong was intentional that or if they just don't have enough bleachers <laughs> to <laughs> make it look like they have stands on TV. Just kicking into the wilderness, you know, <laughs> and that's that. If, and if the, and if the kicker misses the field goal, they go just keep walking off into yes. the wilderness. So that's why yeah. we leave that you in. You gotta go open. find the ball. Now. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well unfortunately, unfortunately, you are the only vote for Colorado, uh, so the swamp is moving on. But I will I say before say, we move on, Vaughn and only we saw your comment and. From experience saying there's not a good seat in McLean Stadium, I think we made the right choice moving on Tiger Stadium there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and also, I am sad that we're losing the mountains because mountains look cool. Uh, but also, mm. it's it's the swamp. So, <laughs> last matchup we're voting on here today was actually a tie on our social media polls, which means oh. it's all down to you, Jake. It's all coming down to you. Uh, we got the Michigan State Spartans in Spartan Stadium up against the Arizona State Sun Devils in Sun Devil Stadium. Uh, two very classic-looking stadiums. They're uh, almost two, identical. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really close. Uh, and that's reflected in our social media poll, clearly. Uh, so whoever wants to go first, good luck. Um this what do you got anybody so i'm looking at this and like i said i can see that these were both originally designed as your traditional bowl field and then they've added the upper decks throughout the years that makes it tough and what makes it even tougher is you break down which one might be harder to play in and over the past five years let's be honest i don't think either of them are that hard to play in because the fans have nothing to really go for other than last year, Michigan State was decent. You know. Oh. 
Which one? I, I think Michigan State has the longest home winning streak in the Big Ten right now. That would hurt on a personal level, and you need to shut up right now. <laughs> but can you confirm if that's right or not? I, I don't know. But also, I know that Ohio State doesn't, and for bad reasons. So, yeah. fuck, fuck yeah. you. I, that's fair. <laughs> but that I wasn't the Christianite, was it? <laughs> well, it's fair that you're upset by this, Doug, but I think you throw that in with uh, probably my one of my favorite traditions of all of the ones that I've looked up doing my research here. They'll announce the weather before kickoff and then follow it up no matter what it is with it's a beautiful day for football, and that's just – that's awesome. That's college football right there. I got to give a little bit of an edge to Spartan Stadium here. All right, so I did my classic thing. I went to go see which one was real grass, and, well, screw me. They're both real grass. Um, but that being it's more said, impressive they have real grass in Arizona. Facts. Right? It's true. That being said, when you have a nickname like the Woodshed and you're going to take the other team out back to the Woodshed, <laughs> that, that might carry it for me. That's that that's going to make it Spartan Stadium for me. I don't know. Yeah, no, you've you've absolutely sold me. Um, plus, I think like. Arizona State, you know, the Sun Devil Stadium might look more like picture number two this year, depending on how things go. You know, there's some coaching sort of like tension and stuff there with uh, Herm Edwards and such. Um, I'm going to go with Michigan Spartan Stadium, but I've got a question for Doug. A Michigan State called the Green Team up north? Like, is there another nickname for them? No, there's there's none of that. No, I just just call it Michigan State. Uh, which I barely get away with because okay. I am saying the M word, but you know, it's, it's Michigan That's state. It's a different thing. So no, <laughs> you'll see in a second here, uh, our next matchups do involve that team up North and uh, my illustrious co-host bug did change the slides. Cause originally I said that team up North and that stadium up North uh, <laughs> will be going up against the university of Virginia and Scott stadium. Uh, next matchup we'll have, is Oklahoma versus Florida State. Two just titans in this. In college football, in, in the annals of college football uh, and stadium-wise, like this is a very – that's going to be a tough matchup right. in the second round. In the second round. Uh, then we'll have Bryant-Denny versus uh, Milan Pusker. Uh, so not as bad of a matchup, but, <laughs> you know. They can't all be that tough. Uh, and then we have Georgia versus Washington, Sanford Field versus Husky Stadium. So make sure you get your votes on Twitter um, and anywhere else we might have those polls. And Jake, if you want to join us again for bracket time, we'll certainly love to have you because oh yeah, it's always fun talking to you. Absolutely. Man. Uh, do you want <laughs> oh, to shout out any links? Uh, where can people find um, you? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can go to the the renamed. Jake Botel sports experience. I expanded it out because there's just hey. too much sports to talk about. So Jake Botel sports experience, Instagram, Twitter, yada, yada. If anyone wants to hear um, some, some Aussie rules content, you can go over to the chaps chat cats. Um, me and a couple of mates talking Geelong cats footy, um, both men's and women's. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Jake. It's always fun to have you. Oh, 
Always fun to be here, lads. Thanks for the invite. Yes, sir. We'll see you again soon. And that right there is going to do it for our show. Uh, this is a different view. Uh, yeah, I was very Twitch, confused. I was confused too. <laughs> Uh, but that's the best way to catch the show because we have pictures for all these stadiums. You can join in live, uh, comment as you heard through all throughout the show. Uh, join us live on Twitch uh, at Big Dudes in the Trenches. Uh, also, you can find us on Twitter at BDT Football, Facebook, Instagram, we're BDT Football. Uh, except for Instagram, we have an underscore in there. Um, and then, of course, we have a website. We have an email address. You can find all that stuff in the podcast description or it's been scrolling across the screen this entire time. And with that, I'm going to hand it off to my co-hosts here. Do you guys have anything you want to wrap up the show with? I, I have two things before I pass it over to Bug. Uh, one, I want to shout out uh, the Vaughn and Only Man. Thanks for chilling with us tonight. Thanks for talking with us. It was fun to hear some of your takes, some of your questions, man. Uh, every Wednesday we'll be here for now, and then uh, we'll go two times a week starting uh, starting uh, the beginning of football think. season. Yeah. Uh, the a, other thing. Follow there on Twitch if you can, my friend. The, the other thing I will shout out is, uh, guys, I, I'm going for my, my official blind certification. Um, I'm, I'm going to be a football ref this year, so I will no longer be allowed to see. Um, and I'm going to see how the other, well, blindly figure out how the other half lives. And uh, we'll go from there. <laughs> Fucking zebra, dude. No, no dad joke this week, but I have a uh, five-year-old joke. Uh-oh. What'd the cookie say when it was sick? I'm feeling no crummy. Idea. Oh God! Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> you lied Give to me. That is absolutely five. a dad joke. My my five year old daughter told me that joke. It so. doesn't matter. <laughs> Love it. Oh, uh, let's get out of here, dude. I can't handle this anymore. All right, guys. That's clearly <laughs> all the time we have on the show today. Thank you for watching and listening. And just remember, you can't win a game if you can't win in the trenches. 